Electric bicycles are my jam. I'm turning into a nut for a good e-bike. It's easy to get around, we save gas not driving our car for short trips to the store, and I'm getting a little extra exercise. The folks at Velotrick are sponsoring a series of videos on my channel to show off some affordable e-bikes and help people get up to speed. It's easier than you think, and prices have never been more competitive. You can catch those videos on my YouTube channel, but if you're interested in shopping an e-bike, head over to velotrick.bike slash some gadget guy and look at their road bikes and fat tires. Again, V-E-L-O-T-R-I-C dot B-I-K-E slash some gadget guy. Velatric dot bike slash some gadget guy. If any of those bikes look good to you, you can save an additional $60 off an already low price by using the coupon code SOMEGADGET60, SOMEGADGET60 at checkout. Once again, Velatric dot bike slash some gadget guy and coupon code SOMEGADGET60. And I thank Velatric for being a sponsor on this show. We are live. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, tech fans of all shapes and sorts and sizes and persuasions, welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show on the SGGQA podcast channel. I'm Juan Carlos Bagnell, a.k.a. some gadget guy, the SGG of this terribly named podcast series. But what's important is that QA, that question and answer as we make this an interactive conversation to get our week kicked off. Um, I'm coming back. This is the first show of 2024. Uh, What would have landed on a Monday last week was New Year's, and I needed to take that week off. So it's been two weeks since uh, we've we've, uh, been able to hang out for a little bit, and I'm feeling refreshed. I'm feeling peppy. I hope everybody had a lovely holiday season. Um, Just a lot of us needed to recharge our batteries and get back into the swing of things. Of course, over that period of time, in in changing a component in my PC, I'm doing a, a sponsored video with NVIDIA and Zotac to talk about um, a new graphics card. Uh, Swapping that one part changed everything about my streaming setup. So uh, please let me know if um, anything weird (laughs) is happening with the stream. Like, I couldn't hear the pre-show music. It's technically still playing. Uh, Let me know if there's anything that's showing up weird there. Uh, and I'm showing levels on my mic, but let me know if uh, the, the mic is getting crispy or if it's getting uh, weird. <laughs> so I, I just did something here where uh, I, I was trying to uh, mute someone on uh, Twitch and then Restream freaked out. And I think it just deleted all of the comments in the stream pri- prior if you were on the YouTube side. But I just saw Marilyn uh, say good morning. So everyone say good morning to Marilyn. And Bionic Scoop just said, Juan! And T-Bub celebrating a three-month anniversary subbing. Thank you. I appreciate it. I uh, appreciate all of the support on the on the show and, and uh, keeping the stream... Uh, you know, while the stream is actively falling apart around us, that <laughs> you all are supporting keeping the stream running. So this this might get weird. <laughs> this is basically all I'm saying. I'm going to take a quick sip of coffee here. We have so much to catch up on. We have so much to dig into. We've got housekeeping. We've got news. CES is kicking off, and we've got a couple really hot announcements from CES and a concept that I'm really excited about. This is going to be a really fun show. I'm going to I'm going to take a quick sip of coffee here from this fancy mug and then uh, we're going to jump in. We're 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 going to get going.
Oh, yeah. All right, just that quick roll call. I'm seeing Puppet Jared, It's Thexy Pat, Bionic Scoop, T-Buzz, Simon Says Hypno, Marilyn, Pacoston, Puppet Jared. Uh, there's our boy. Uh, some gadget guy was commenting on Twitch. I'm missing someone. Oh, Mountain Dew Lou, H2O, H2O Taku, and Copacash jumping in. Steve Pogue saying, hey, yo. Um, hey, Puppet Jared. Hold that question. When we get to the gadget block, we can definitely chat out. What do you think is the best deal in secondhand tech right now? Which brand messed up and now has gadgets with under undervalued top tier ARM SOCs and OLED panels out there? We, we need to help someone find uh, a good bargain. And I think this is going to kind of dovetail into some of the conversation where I'm, I'm already off and running. We've got Snapdragon 8 Gen 3s. We've got Dimensity 9300s. We've got IQs and we've got Vivos and we've got all the crazy new tech that's already leading off 2024. And this year, we're going to have a really hot market for used and older phones and refurbs from 2023. So, uh, Puppet Jared, we definitely can dig into some of that. So, uh, why don't we jump in? Why don't we jump in and uh, do a little housekeeping? I've, I've, uh, I was saying, like, I needed to take some time, just sort of uh, recharge the batteries, uh, and then we we didn't do two weeks of the of the live stream, but there was still a lot to kind of catch up on, and I used that time to sort of uh, stage um, a, a slightly more aggressive strategy coming to the Patreon, and uh, it's not something I take lightly. Uh, usually, whenever I do something Patreon focused, it's like a twenty four hour turnover, and then it goes live on uh, on YouTube. But increasingly, the way that YouTube is handling videos has been incredibly toxic uh, for for creators. Um, I, I run a little alt account just so that I can kind of keep up with what's going on. I have a different algorithm that I keep try to keep really, really clean. YouTube is still a huge mess for all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, I've smashed my own bell icon and I put out a video Friday and yesterday, I got a notification that some gadget guy has a new video on a Sunday morning. So I can tell <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're subscribed and it doesn't matter if you're smashing those bell icons. Algorithms be algorithming and uh, really keeping us separated from our audiences. And the only way that I can counter that is to tell people if you subscribe to my YouTube channel in an RSS feed reader... That works. You can catch my home site, somegadgetguy.com, or I can increasingly sort of point to the community of people that are directly uh, trying to help subsidize production for this channel, which is patreon.com slash somegadgetguy. So this roundup is going to be a little Patreon heavy to start just to run through some of the stuff that's already up and live on that channel there. And then also there has been some public stuff that I've put out too, just to kind of keep everything moving and try and keep some activity going. So, uh, the first screen share, let's see if my web browser works. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> All right. Uh, immediately we're kicking off 2024 and we already have in a screamer phone to take a look at in the IQ 12. And it's one of my favorite videos to start with is just looking back year over year. So we did this last year at around the same time, looking at the IQ 11 to the IQ 9 Pro, 
there has been a very uh, distinct philosophy change with a lot of these manufacturers going from 9 Pro to IQ 11 to IQ 12. And it's the, the highest award. It's the top honor that I can deliver to any smartphone. Is the, it's worthy of a one-year upgrade. Coming out of 2022, there were a lot of phones that I felt sort of satisfied that criteria. If you wanted better battery life, if you wanted better performance. Coming into 2024, this is going to be a really difficult year for new phones to achieve that highest of honors. That The, the, the phone that's, that's uh, released this year in 2024 is so good and it's so improved, it's worth taking your phone from 2023 selling it, flipping it, trading it in, so you can get the new hotness in 2024. That IQ conversation, looking at some of the highest performing phones that ever get released in these IQ, like BMW edition uh, smartphones, that's a really challenging conversation for any phone, specifically also really challenging for IQ too. Got to take a quick pause. Uh, Gary the Fireman subscribed with Prime, been subscribed for 40 months, 40, 40, and we're going to try and do the first uh, fanfare, uh, courtesy of one Mr. Barry Johnson who sent me a stream deck. I think I've got it plugged back into my audio chain. Let's see, because I can't hear anything on my own system right now. Let me know if y'all hear this. Uh, Gary Johnson, thank you. Uh, Gary, Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson is a Green Party uh, political uh, candidate. Gary the Fireman courtesy of Barry Johnson. Fanfare, courtesy of Barry Johnson. Thank you so much for supporting. Simon says, Hypno, also getting a fanfare of glory. We're we're getting some thumbs up. We can hear the fanfare. I can't hear the fanfare at all. So Simon and Gary, thank you so much. I really do appreciate the support on this channel. Uh, Reading it loud and clear. Thanks, T-Buzz. All right, moving right along. I've already spent too much time on one story on the Patreon. Next up, I finally did a comparison looking at the new skin for Xiaomi. Xiaomi uh, is is changing up their OS. And so I've got a hands-on as a Westerner and a North American dude who uh, mostly uses Xiaomi for just their cameras. I wanted to try and figure out what some of the feature differences were between MIUI and the new Hyper OS. That video is live on the Patreon. Then I also have a first impressions, just kind of a, a first look at the Vivo X100 Pro camera. Um, just looking at it, a couple photo samples. This new macro lens on the telephoto is unbelievable. If you've been following me on social media, I have been sharing a few of those samples too. It's just stunning performance from these new lenses. Um, I really think uh, just like IQ has one of the highest performing phones of the year, Vivo already has one of the top camera solutions, especially at the price that they're selling it. Um, And then we've got a pair of performance articles. So I have the IQ 12 that has a Snapdragon 8 Gen 3. So I've got a buy the benchmarks looking at video rendering, podcast mixing, photo processing. We've got all of those charts and graphs so that you can see the differences year over year uh, from 8 Gen 3 to 8 Gen 2 and how it compares against Tensor and MediaTek. And then I went and did the exact same thing for the Vivo X100 Pro with the Dimensity 9300. And spoiler alert, the Dimensity 9300 is incredible. (laughs) I don't use that word lightly. I'm not trying to exaggerate. Uh, There's there's an expectation. Uh, You know, Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 
not that great. Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, significantly better. And year over year, we expect these sort of benchmarks, like uh, we expect these tiers. You're going to get 10% more this or 15% more that. That's what we sort of look at as a good yearly upgrade. Going from a Dimensity 9200 to a Dimensity 9300, especially for CPU-bound tasks, but also kind of in the ballpark for some of their GPU performance too, it is akin to roughly a two-year generational cycle in a one-year package. Whatever magic sauce they've put into this SoC, the folks at MediaTek deserve a lot of praise. If you're just looking at these Antu 2 scores, you really have no idea what this year-over-year performance improvement looks like. It is stunning when you take a real app and you run it through this new chip, and it is dramatically faster than what we were doing a couple of months ago. <laughs> like, we had just gotten the 9200+, Plus in the Xiaomi 13T Pro. And that was a screamer chip. The, the 9200 was a great chip last year. In one year, MediaTek has satisfied a two-generation bump in what we would expect in terms of this SoC performance. And uh, apparently, we've got a hype train going on the Twitch, which is awesome. I have to do another fanfare of glory. A shout-out to Mr. Gary the Fireman, gifting a Tier 1 sub to Jman150. Gary has given 261 gift subs on this channel. He is a bro. Thank you so much for supporting this inane rambling about SOCs and chip fabrication and uh, hilarious tech news that we're going to be getting into. We've got just a couple more little housekeeping bits to clean up. Gary, you, you rock, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, and then uh, the big video that we just recently put out, the OnePlus Open Camera Review, the full review, 28 minutes long packed full of photo and video samples, a lot of analysis, because if my guess is correct, which I don't think I'm blowing anyone's mind here, but if my guess is correct, the OnePlus Open is basically setting the stage for the OnePlus 12. So whatever you see um, in, in, this, uh, in, in this review, the, the OnePlus Open camera review, is probably going to be really similar to what we see on the OnePlus 12. The more I look at the OnePlus 12, like, because, you know, we've already got kind of the specs out of China and stuff. And a few people have imported the phone just to test it from China. Uh, it really does look like the OnePlus 12 is going to be an open that doesn't open, but has a Snapdragon 8 Gen 3. And I feel like that's going to be a monster phone. Um, I feel like... OnePlus is going to sell at a competitive price. It's going to undercut uh, uh, like an iPhone 15 Plus or a, a Galaxy S24 Plus, but it's going to arrive with tech on board that is better <laughs> than what Samsung or Apple are going to deliver. Um, so if you want a sneak peek, if you want to get ahead of what you think the OnePlus 12 camera might do, well, I waited for updates. I dug into all of the different settings and features. There have been some phenomenal improvements to the OnePlus Open. I was in the middle of editing that OnePlus Open video when I got another update. We, we got another update on the OnePlus Open, and it fixed and it made clearer a problem I was having with the night mode. 
if you've only seen the OnePlus Open videos from the launch of the OnePlus Open, you are woefully out of date. If you're not following a dude like Scary If Literal, Shane Craig, who is regularly going through all of these updates and these patches and these OTAs and stuff like that, and you only follow, like, the big... T- I know I'm saying this. Like, the, the folks that are in this chat actually do keep up with this stuff. I'm totally preaching to the choir. But it's on us to spread the word that if you've only seen, like, that assessment from someone who used the phone under embargo on pre-release software, you have no idea how good the OnePlus Open has gotten over these last several updates. And then, uh, already public and live on uh, somegadgetguy.com, I do want to highlight some of these real quick. Um, I did a sponsorship and a partnership with Zbeck, and they have delivered one of the most exciting uh, peripherals that I've seen in a while. I've been a broken record uh, just repeating over and over and over again that I feel portable monitors are the single best... Uh, accessory you can invest in. If you have a family of gadgets, like you say you've got a kid with a Nintendo Switch and you have a Steam Deck or an Asus or Lenovo Legion or uh, your wife has a laptop and you've got a desktop, a single portable monitor can expand the functionality of every gadget in your home. It is the best single accessory purchase you can make to get more compute use out of phones, tablets, laptops, desktops, game consoles, cameras, everything. And what Zbeck has done has been uh, they've designed this bracket system for laptops that allows you to magnetically swap monitors on either side. So we've seen triple laptop displays before. I've never seen anything that is built on this standardized of a system. And it is. It's magnets. How do they work? You slap them on, and then you can quickly go from single from a single laptop screen to a dual monitor to a triple, and flip the monitors from portrait to landscape, or from landscape to portrait. It is a great system. It is very expensive, but it is the best-built premium solution that I've seen uh, in, in a while. Um, Jman150 is saying... I'm surprised that you haven't had a single display issue with your OnePlus Open recently. I I mean, I've had some OnePlus bugs and gremlins in the software. I've been talking about that quite a bit, especially as it pertains to things like split screen and multitasking. But in terms of hardware, this thing has been bulletproof. The the OnePlus Open, uh, the the displays have been great. So I'm, I'm not sure what other issues people are having with OnePlus Open, but I've been rocking mine pretty hard. And if you caught uh, Android Bosch's year-end wrap-up video where he gets like every content creator on the internet to talk about what phone they're leading off in, were it not for a pair of phones that I can't talk about right now, the OnePlus Open has had my SIM card in since I've got it. So I've been using it as my personal daily driver phone in ways that I never even really did with the Duos. The Duos would kind of keep my SIM for a week for the main review, and then I really focused on using them as tablets. The Open has been rocking with it. It's It's been my go-to. So I've been doing pretty good. Um, yeah, Brian, the monitors sound like a dream. Uh, this is a wonderful step in making a nicer version of an accessory that I think a lot of people take for granted. That's what's exciting to me is, yes, tooling, R&D, distribution, it's a boutique 
accessory, but this is exactly the kind of nicer version. You, you show someone a portable monitor and like, oh, I've got to plug in a cable and then it just sits there by my laptop. But then you show someone like a system proper built to like snap and, and, and interact with and it gets people more excited about the potential uh, of, of getting this stuff. Um, hold on, let me get this out of the way. Uh, real quick, I, I'm, I'm, I promise we're almost wrapping up with housekeeping here. I wrote an editorial, is Samsung betting against generative AI? We've got Unpacked coming soon. Um, Galaxy S24s are right around the corner. And I'm a little anxious because I feel like Samsung, if the rumors are true, because we've seen a lot of link, leaks on the S24 uh, series of phones, if the rumors are true... I feel like Samsung is likely betting against on-device AI capabilities. I don't know that they're wrong, but I feel like it's one of those things where between Google and Samsung, if the future of AI over the next year is server side, so everything you do has to get uploaded to a server and then it bounces back down to you, like Video Boost, I think is a good example of that. It sort of sucks some of the wind out of the sails, People, I think, get less excited when it's not really their phone doing it, but they have to use a data connection that uses more data, especially if they're on a metered plan. I'm on Mint Mobile. We have metered plans on Mint Mobile. Um, it, it takes up storage in your cloud storage. That's another thing that's a bummer. I'm not paying for additional Google cloud storage anymore. When that whole operation has to have so many parts that are dependent on subscriptions and uh, you know cell phone plans and things like that, you're not really selling AI to the masses. So I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried about what's what might come from the S24. And especially this, to me, would be a concern that if AI takes off, then folks who are using S24s will likely find that their phones age out faster than they would prefer. If we're looking at a phone as a three- to four-year investment, and we think that there's some potential in AI, on-device AI, for those features and those, uh, those modes to improve, then an S24 might be a poor investment, especially opposite some of the phones that are coming out now with like ridiculous hardware specs, but they're ridiculous today. I don't usually recommend people buy in for future-proofing, but if you're excited about AI, then you kind of need the future-proof just a little bit. And then lastly, something that we're going to be talking about quite a bit today is uh, CES. We're seeing a lot of news about new AR and XR um, glasses. But um, the, uh, the, the, the bummer news as we were closing out um, 2023 is that uh, Microsoft is going to be killing Windows Mixed Reality. So their platform for these inexpensive uh, headsets, like I've got this Acer Mixed Reality headset, it is inexpensive and it's cheap. <laughs> it is a cheap VR headset. Um, but this, uh, there were nicer ones. Samsung built a nicer mixed reality headset. HP had a beautiful, and again, it wasn't crazy expensive, but it was a much, much nicer headset than this Acer that I've been rocking for a while. So coming, uh, coming soon, the app is going to be pulled. So it's not going to be bundled with Windows 11. And then I believe within the next two years, Support is going to be, uh, it's basically end of life for the platform. And it's concerning that in its current state, that might mean all of these headsets are basically just e-waste. So it doesn't matter if you set up a new computer and you have this Windows Mixed Reality headset. There's no way to get it to talk to the system, to your new computer, 
and that also ends support for things like Steam, Steam VR. So I'm hoping um, with a little attention, because I know this isn't a huge user base. I know Windows Mixed Reality wasn't um, a, a huge uh, sales point, which is the reason why it's dying now. But I'm hoping that someone will get in there and maybe start tinkering. If you can come up with open source drivers or some kind of third-party support so that folks who have just like a good standalone VR headset, then plug it in with a couple cables and they like to play a couple games on it. You know, you don't want to spend a lot more just to replay Beat Saber or something like that. I'm hoping we see some kind of developer and maybe hacker um, attention for this platform. So, uh... <laughs> from Malik, uh, the phones that I can't talk about, I can talk about the Vivo. Where, where is the Vivo? I have to be really careful because I'm going to reach for a phone and there are two that if I hold them up, I'll be in breach of NDAs. So one second, because they're all very similar. <laughs> nope, not that one. Almost did it. Yeah, here's my Vivo. It's the thumbnail for this week's show. I, I have the Vivo X100 Pro and I've got the iQ12. Uh, these are the two that I've been kind of rocking, uh, just supporting and uh, doing a lot of benchmarking and testing on. You know, OnePlus Open. I've got I've got phones that I can that I can pick up and show. <laughs> From George, George Hayes, uh, mobile geezer. What's up, buddy? I agree. Cloud processing as opposed to on device is less attractive. Video Boost is really interesting. And if we want to talk about Video Boost in the gadget block, we can totally do that. Um, but I uh, I am excited about Video Boost on the Pixel 8 Pro for the exact opposite reasons that I think people are going to like Video Boost. And I really don't like having to do this dance of getting a video uploaded while I'm out in the field, getting it brought back down to my device, knowing that that's hitting my data plan. It's hitting my battery harder. I really wish, from what I see on Video Boost, I really don't see where it couldn't be done slower on device, but then not have you uploading, taking the time, and having your video sit in a server queue. It might be about the same amount of time if you just did it on the phone slower than what a server could do. Gorm Lord, it's okay, Juan. Vision Pro just got a release date. Mixed reality is saved. Only Apple can save the VR with a $3,500 headset that only 100,000 people will get to play with. VR has been saved. It just worked. Oh, Yar 2084, what's up? Thanks for that. Hey, Juan, I'm at work, but managing to catch you live. I love it. I love that. You just have me on in the background. I'm 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 good. I'm good people to have you know hanging out at work. <laughs> Simon says hypno saved. Apple just invented mixed reality. <laughs> oh, copper cash. I don't I don't have a relationship with Oppo. Um, show us the Find X7 one. We won't tell. Um, so Ben. Ben just took a took a big launch on his Find X7 Ultra video. Didn't that just go live like this morning? So definitely catch what Ben has to say about it. I like the work that Ben does, um, but it, that's going to be one that I'll probably catch up on. I don't know. Like I got to the Find X6 Pro back in November, so I'll I'll be I'm, I'm going to tell people right now. Uh, I, I posted on Patreon. I do little production diaries and. I have to try and slow down some of the way that I do coverage on all these different devices. I get stuck in 
accumulating data in testing, and then I never get to the full completed videos that I want to do. So I've really got a subset. We're, we're kind of talking about it on the Patreon. Like the, the folks on Patreon are my shareholders and we're strategizing on what content and what coverage we're really going to focus on. But I'm trying to narrow down six main phones that will get sort of the deeper investigative full review kind of treatment. And then other devices are going to come in and I'm, I'm going to show them off and we can do feature highlights and stuff like that. But they're not going to get the same like exhaustive um, kind of coverage. And unfortunately, I, I feel like the Find X7 series is going to be one that I'm going to be real late <laughs> to covering the Find X7. Um, I've just been having so many brilliant experiences with Vivo and Xiaomi um, that uh, I feel like those are top tier devices that I need to kind of focus on. And then there are a couple other manufacturers. Like I really need to spend more time with the Pixel 8 Pro. I never did a proper Pixel 8 Pro review. I want to spend a little time with the regular Pixel 8, and I am budgeting a little bit of the, the review budget this year, just so that I have some experience talking about the more mainstream option Pixel 8. So it's, it's tricky stuff, um, especially being the only person doing everything, <laughs> all of the production and reviewing and writing and posting and social media and outreach. I, I got to focus. <laughs> Um, hold on, let me catch up here. I'm gonna take a drink of water. Uh, let me get one more drink of coffee and then we're, we're gonna move on. We've got actual news to talk about. That was all the housekeeping links and I feel like I did pretty good knocking that out in like 25 minutes. It's been a while. I'm glad we're getting this moment to catch up. Um, but yeah, we, we, gotta, we gotta move on to some actual news here. Hey, podcast listeners, I work really hard to find mutually beneficial ways to support production on my various distribution platforms. Instead of just running ads on this podcast and hoping they don't annoy you, I want to find products or services that you really will get something out of and that can help fund my production. While I do talk about some of those items in ads throughout this podcast, I've never created one easy-to-view master list of my current partnerships until now. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. If you'd like to help contribute, support production of this podcast and my various videos and reviews, head on over to somegadgetguy.com. At the top, there's going to be a link for support some gadget guy, and you can see what my current partnerships are. At the time this podcast was recorded, in addition to my Patreon, we can hook you up with a $10 voucher for shopping a new OnePlus, save 20% on some one more headphones, sign you up for Google Fi service, Amazon affiliate links, Audible, or you can grab a Mega Pickle coffee mug of your very own. Mmm, savory, delicious Mega Pickles. Head on over to SomeGadgetGuy.com, support banner on the top right-hand side of my website, and hopefully you find something cool, something you like, while also kicking me a little extra scratch. Oh, Yar, it, it is natty. Oh yeah, we have had a couple little conversations on threads. I, I, I'm stepping up a bit of my threads usage. I still feel Mastodon is the correct answer to the future of social media for nerds like us. Um, but I, I've, I've been, I've been hanging out. We, uh, I even contributed to like a wrestling post on threads. I'm not a wrestling fan, but I was able to make a joke about Kevin Nash from the NWO era. So anyway, 
Um, th thank you, Yar, it's Natty, um, for, for jumping in. So, everything that we're going to talk about, all of the, the show notes, all of the, uh, um, all of the housekeeping, the, the articles, the Patreon posts, everything is going to be available on this week's uh, blog post for the episode on somegadgetguy.com. Um, that's another thing, too, is like I've got to maybe also find ways to simplify some of this, because if you're catching the podcast, then you have to go to a website or to a Patreon. There's got to be a way for me to make this easier for folks <laughs> so that you can read up on some of these stories when uh, when we start talking about some of this stuff. Um, <laughs> Simon says, if no, sorry. Uh, no, I was I was as shocked as anyone that I had Kevin Nash on recall for a funny post on threads. Um, that is not my bag, but there was a, a brief window where the NWO saga of the WWE was hilarious. And I was in hook, line and sinker and then bounced out again, incredibly quick. I, I did not stick around with the, uh, the entertainment form, but I, I was as surprised as anyone, uh, jumping right in. We've got, uh, some, some silly gaming news out of Netflix, I have been a little obnoxious in praising Netflix for one part of their strategy over the last year. I think we would all agree that Netflix has done kind of a terrible job in making their service better for consumers, but unfortunately, the pain points that they've installed to their service have resulted in more subscribers and higher revenue, and they seem to be floating the downturn in streaming services much better. Uh, in fact, they're not suffering significant downturn. They're showing growth um, as compared to all of the other streamers out there that are you know, really complaining about catalogs or looking at partnership opportunities or like Disney Plus is a dumpster fire. Just all of the poor management aside, Netflix's strategy has been great for shareholders. I've not been happy with how they've handled video streaming for consumers. But the one thing that I really liked, didn't matter what tier, what plan, you also got games on Netflix. And a lot of people make fun of the games on Netflix because they haven't taken the minute to push the little games button in their Netflix app to look at what games are on there. Because there are some startlingly, it's a small catalog, but there are some startlingly good games. And a lot of people will talk about mobile gaming and say, oh, but it's mobile gaming and they're just garbage, which is completely missing the point. Little kids like to play a lot of garbage games, right? How many gem swapping candy crush clones are on Google Play with the most predatory microtransactions and in-app purchases, cooldown clocks and energies and oh, but if you want to you want to play this other board of Candy Crush, you need more candy points and then you spend real money on that. You have little kids nagging their parents. You also have other family members who get caught in that kind of addiction loop with gotcha mechanics, microtransactions and in-app purchases. So you can go to Google and get a Google subscription that kind of alleviates some of that. You can look at Apple Arcade. I think Apple Arcade is a really good service for someone who is enjoying that loop of mobile gaming, but doesn't want to get caught up in the money cycle of in-app purchases. Like The subscription matters. It's the same thing on desktop. 
You can look at something like Microsoft Game Pass. A subscription helps alleviate the monetary need to constantly punch you in the face with other ways to monetize. And the game catalog on Netflix is surprisingly good on both fronts. So what you end up with is a bunch of silly, candy-crushy kinds of games that have all of that stuff removed, and they're starting to greenlight games that never would have come to mobile. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder's Revenge, with the DLC, that's a great game. It's on Netflix. Hades is an incredible roguelite. It's one of the best roguelites ever made. Action, combat, kind of Diablo-esque sort of dungeon crawling, but then really quick gameplay loop, live, die, repeat. That's going to be coming to mobile. It's going to be coming to to Netflix. Into the Breach, turn-based strategy, incredible game, an amazing PC indie darling sweetheart, it's on Netflix. That was a really long preamble. <laughs> I'm coming into the new year rambling. So this is coming by way of VG247. Um, who wrote this up? Uh, oh, I am not going to be able to pronounce that. I am so sorry. Oisin. Nope, that is not your name. I am sorry. Oisin Kunke. I have mispronounced your name terribly, and I do apologize. Um, But she, I believe she, I don't know. Um, Netflix might add in-app purchases and ads to its games that no one plays. So uh, the, the, the reason why I'm pointing to this article is this is coming by way of the Wall Street Journal, but that's on a paywall right now. So, um... Uh, from the article, apparently spoke to people familiar with discussions currently happening at Netflix. The sources say that various suggestions are being made as to how streaming company can bring in more money through its games. Notable ideas being the addition of ads, in-app purchases, and even charging a premium for certain games. Ads would only appear on the ad-supported tier, and it's unclear how in-app purchases might work. Presumably, this is for games it publishes itself as opposed to games it licenses. So... If ads come to Netflix gaming, there is no point doing Netflix gaming. If in-app purchases come to Netflix gaming, that's worse than the strategy that Google had with Stadia. I cannot stress this enough. If Netflix changes up their policy on how they handle games, even if it's just for the ad-supported tier of Netflix, first of all, that's garbage. I don't think anyone would disagree with me there. Um, I am increasingly looking at Netflix as a streaming solution that we are only going to occasionally dip into. So when there's something we really want to watch on Netflix, we're going to subscribe for a month of Netflix. I'll be able to enjoy Netflix games. And then we're going to let that subscription lapse for a while. You cannot engage with in-app purchases and microtransactions for Netflix games. If you're doing this sort of cycle, then that means you're paying for a subscription, then you download the game onto your device. You still install the game through Google Play. It's a Google Play app that then checks your Netflix login to let you play the game. So then if you give them even more money for content in the game... That means when you're not subscribed to Netflix, that game and the additional content that you played for are off limits. 
that's worse than Stadia. <laughs> so Stadia, you were paying like the subscription to stream games. Like you were paying a subscription instead of buying a console. And then you had to buy the games on Stadia to play on the streaming service, which is worse than just owning a console, especially if you try and factor out like how many years would it take to buy a console chipping away a game streaming service for like 10 to 15 bucks a month, something like that. So now Netflix is, is turning the screw there. The, the ad free tiers are getting even more expensive and less good. They won't separate accounts to screens where they're saying there's a monetary value to having resolution uh, resolution tiers and there's a monetary value to having a number of screens but they won't let me pick 4k with one screen i have to do 4k with multiple screens that's not what i want and now there's also a monetary value to having ads or having an ad free and you cannot pick between ad free at this resolution with this number of screens netflix has made their service demonstrably more hostile to consumers if they do that with gaming, you have to run away from something that I have been pitching as a great alternative to something like Apple Arcade. Netflix is doing a good job of bringing games to mobile that never would have considered a mobile audience. Awesome. They've proved it, just like Google did kind of prove the tech behind Google Stadia. So now if there are game developers out there saying like, well, you know, I don't know about mobile... You can see there are licensing deals that you can engage with. There are content delivery services that you can play with. And now with all of the legal uh, scrutiny over app stores, this would be a good time to reconsider some kind of alternative app delivery strategy, especially for Android. We used to have Humble Bundle. The Humble Bundle uh, gaming uh, store used to have a, a really hot category for indie developers to bring apps to mobile. I mean, you can still install it. They just haven't updated anything on it in years. But I had a whole package of games for Android that I bought directly through Humble Bundle, and it had no attachment to Google Play, and it was updated in their Humble Bundle app. Now would be the right time for another entity. I, I still feel like this is the right time for Steam to start looking at like, hey, you could give Google 30% or you could give us 15 What do you want to do? <laughs> and then you can manage your mobile uh, games directly through a Steam account, which has all of the perks of, you know, hooking you up with your friends and showing off your stats and your achievements and everything like that. Now would be a really good time for another entity to say, hey, or Epic, you know, free, free game of the week. But now you also have your, your Epic game store on your phone, too. So I'm very disappointed uh, in just the conversation making its way out of Netflix that this might be their strategy. I'd say if you're still subscribed to Netflix, like we are, enjoy it while you've got it. Really look at those games. There are some incredible games on the Netflix game, uh, game panel in their app. But I, I don't feel like this is something that's going to keep me on the service when we decide that we want to pause our Netflix subscription. And I'm going to be in, incredibly disappointed and phenomenally angry if they start messing with ads and in-app purchases. It, it, it instantly kills what made the service kind of interesting uh, to begin with. Oh, Steve Pogue, absolutely correct. Not to mention Dead Cells plus all DLC right now and Sonic Mania plus coming later. This story just hurts. 
Correct. <laughs> Yar, uh, 2084. If Stadia was a Game Pass style subservice, I literally would have been all over it. Paying retail for something I can't download bothered me. I think that was the, the big fear for everybody. Is that, you know, what am I paying for? And unfortunately, I don't think Google could get developers on board to do a licensing arrangement. That was the big problem. No one wanted to give Google, you know, like that kind of access and that kind of authority over gaming. And look at all of the struggles NVIDIA has had. NVIDIA launched their streaming service and a bunch of developers said, hey, we're not cool with the way that you're linking games to this kind of streaming and pulled their titles from NVIDIA's service. And then they had to work out different licensing agreements to bring them back when they saw that Microsoft, that Game Pass was just steamrolling over everybody in terms of services and subscriptions. Um, yes, McCorcoran, this is absolutely the, the, the pain point. Uh, McCorcoran says, to me, the primary selling point of Netflix gaming is that you lack... Uh, uh, gaming is that you are the I think I get what you're saying to me the primary selling point of Netflix gaming is that you lack microtransactions I think is what you meant I don't know but I I think the sentiment of your of your comment there is is shared by many I am incredibly disappointed Uh, so moving right along something I'm a little less disappointed in (laughs) <laughs> Gormlord, ads in Prime Video coming too. Yay, more ads. All right, hold on. Before we move on to the next story, taking one, one moment here. So um, that, that story broke sort of over our holiday break. It would have been one of the uh, stories we talked about if I'd done a podcast last week. Amazon is adding ads to Prime Video, which is... I, w- a service we almost never use, um, were it not for The Boys and Invincible. Oh, you know what? We did watch The Expanse. I, I Well, I did. I watched The Expanse, especially because I, I, I was very happy when Amazon sort of rescued it from sci-fi. Um, but the only thing that my wife and I have watched together on Amazon that I can think of were, uh, is The Boys and Invincible. And uh, she had also subscribed, like, because the way that Amazon Prime Video works, you can subscribe to other channels. And we had done, like, um, sort of, like, the PBS and Sesame Street Kids stuff. The PBS Kids channel. Um, We did that for Lex, but she hasn't been watching that a whole lot. And then we had a couple others, like um, BritBox style. Uh, I, I don't know if it's BBC or what, BBC America or something like that. But we were paying for a couple of these other channels. So I get the email from Amazon saying, oh, by the way, we're going to add ads to all of your content. And then if you want to eliminate ads, you can just pay us even more. And your Amazon Prime subscription was more expensive this year than it was last year. So just keep giving us more and more money for the same service that you used to have. And before I could talk to Marie about it, I'm in the office. She's downstairs. She comes into the office and says, okay, so I've canceled all of our extra channels on Amazon. Those are all gone. And our Amazon subscription is up in September. So when it's time to renew, we can just cancel Amazon in September. We'll just ride out Basic Prime until then. Okay. And then she left. <laughs> she was decisive <laughs> before, before we could even talk about it. She had already made the call. She had already uh, severed 
all of the extra money that we were paying and uh, we, we were done. So come this September, uh, whenever we decide that we'll want to be shopping for something on Amazon, we'll just wait until we have enough to sort of qualify for better shipping rates. But we did take a look after she had made that decision. We did take a look and especially for tech and gear, I've been trying to shop in other places. Well, one of the biggies, like I've been doing a, a little bit more on Best Buy, especially with product that I can go pick up in store. That's been kind of nice, just kind of getting out of the house a bit. Um, Newegg, I, I I have a personal relationship with Newegg. I used to host for Newegg. I still do a lot of business with Newegg. And then B&H. Um, B&H Photo and Video. Almost all of my professional gear over the last two years has not come from Amazon. It's come from B&H. And literally just that, if I buy it from B&H, I am even more assured that it is an actual thing. It's not going to be like gray market or counterfeit, especially like memory cards. Even when it's Amazon Prime, I'm not guaranteed that I'm really going to get what I I paid for. So Gormlord, yeah. Yeah, the impoopification of all of our services increasingly is leading us to having fewer subscriptions, canceling services, and just walking away. I, I, I've said it before, and I did a video just uh, how I fixed up my Plex. Uh, my Plex setup was being run off of my NAS, and so instead I took a little mini PC and I turned that into a headless server to handle all of the file management for our media and our streaming. And I'm going to be adding photos to that soon. And uh, I can't tell you, I've got a list of movies to get on Blu-ray and uh, I'm going to start adding TV shows and I've got a huge bucket of hard drives in in my office here and that's going to be one of our new main streaming services. I know not everybody has the the ability to jump on something like that, but I'm telling you, an inexpensive mini PC and get yourself like a real big drive to hook up to it that that was a four terabyte sata ssd that i just held up and you can put a lot of content on four terabytes of standalone storage so um i'm still not the person to advocate just straight up go to piracy i uh, i used to host a movie review show back in the day movies you may have missed and the reason why we focused on movies you may have missed, um, our our tagline was, what is your favorite film that none of your friends have seen? These properties vanish. I've got a movie collection where a lot of these films are very difficult to find. Um, Like, I'm having to scour eBay for just garbage used DVDs just to try and preserve some of these classic films. And it's a shame. Like some of them are these beautifully produced indie or low budget or just under the radar kinds of movies. But if they can't generate any income, then they vanish. They don't get remasters. They don't get re-releases. They don't get repressed. So I try to advocate at least for the idea that if this is media that you really, really care about, it's a movie that you know when you want to watch it, you want to watch it. You don't want to have to look for it. And you want it in the best version that you can contain, that you can store Take a month of a streaming service and buy that one film. You know, like what you would have spent on Hulu for a month is worth 
owning a copy, like I have over my head, it's starting to expand and starting to spread across multiple bookshelves behind me, but just stacks of Blu-rays. And I'm starting to rip them and keep them, and they're mine. <laughs> and I don't have to worry about where they live ever again. And I'm not too anxious about the move to 8K, because apparently 8K is a thing still that they're trying to make, they're trying to make it a thing at CES. Um, the ones that really locked me in, the, uh, the, what, I mean, what, what do we call that? The Edgar Wright Simon Pegg trilogy, uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and World's End, they got Blu-ray remasters in 4K. Those Blu-rays look incredible. They look so much better than streaming Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz or World's End on, I think on the service that they were on, I think it was Max. When you circumvent the video compression to stream a 4K movie, it's so much nicer. And I don't have the fanciest of 4K TVs. Like, I've got a nice TCL, but it's not like, you know, some over-the-top, wall-sized uh, OLED monster thing. The film grain, the editing, the sound, it's all better. And I can notice that it's better over streaming in 4K. I, I feel like there's a whole collection of audiophiles that love, like, FLAC and DSD and high-res music. And then there are, you know, the, the people who are buying music increasingly most of those sales come from vinyl <laughs> vinyl is like the most profitable um and and sort of the f the fastest growing music ownership outside of services that stream music and i feel like movies need to kind of do the same get the 4k blu-ray and it's going to look so much better and then if you're inclined to also spend a little money on like a blu-ray drive for a pc then you can get rid of all of the extra garbage when you put the Blu-ray disc in and you have to have these like pre-roll things and menus and settings and ads and stuff like that. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, just take a copy of the movie off of the Blu-ray and put it on a monster hard drive and then it's brilliant and I love it. So that's kind of been the big, the big plan. Gormlord completely derailed me. I, I don't think anyone's terribly surprised that I got sidetracked by that kind of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Simon says, Hypno, you've got some red on you. <laughs> you've got red on you. I love it. Um, oh, McCorcoran, yeah. And the music has been kind of a mess, too. Amazon used to offer a much better music package as part of Base Prime membership. Last year, they radically reduced it. I never got in deep on Amazon Music. I just love that they were doing HD, but I've been a Cobuzz nerd. I'm sticking with Cobuzz. I love Cobuzz. And, their cat and the catalog on Cobuzz has gotten a lot better. Um, yeah, McCorkerin, I've been buying more physical media, downloading free stuff from New Pipe to my SD card, etc. Aditya, and El Cornetto, it's the Cornetto trilogy. Thank you. I knew someone would, would remember, would remind me. Um, Barry Johnson, Hot Fuzz is my favorite, but I think Juan's is Shaun of the Dead. I am such an insufferable nerd for the metaphors behind horror films. And zombies 
are a passion. I feel like zombie media has taken a beating and recently not a lot of great zombie uh, movies or TV shows. But the entire history of how we've gone through the proto-Slavic myths of undead like vampires and revenants and how then that dovetails through sort of the Caribbean mythology of a torporous state called zombieism, which then gets brought back in the 1960s through George Romero and Night of the Living Dead, which was never intended to be a zombie movie, was just supposed to be sort of this horrific undead. It was originally called Night of the Flesh Eaters. But then that redefines what zombies are. And then we've always had this in science fiction where creatures like uh, the Cybermen or the Borg are torporous living entities like traditional zombies but then revenants are literally dead beings like more modern zombies. And then you can show the evolution through there where we get stuff like 28 Days Later, where it has nothing to do with being dead or undead. It's a rage virus. The entire history of this, which goes through the psychological understanding of the uncanny valley through uh, the myths and legends of like vampires and like, the stranger danger of like living in a tiny village in Eastern Europe. Like it's just really lovely. <laughs> so Barry is completely correct. I love hot fuzz. Hot fuzz is amazing, but Shaun of the dead is definitely my favorite of the trilogy. <laughs> whoop whoop. So, okay. Um, when I said like zombie movies have been kind of taking a beating, um, Train to Busan and Hashtag Alive. South Korea is making some brilliant um, horror right now. And, and I would definitely jump on that train. Uh, I would definitely jump on the train to Busan. So uh, why don't we get back to the podcast? <laughs> Simon says, Hypno, why you got to bring up all the things that I love? Because uh, again... Uh, the first one is uh, Wreck is Brilliant, and that one is right above. It, it's if, if you look right there, that red dot is the recording red dot icon from the entire Wreck box set. So, okay. Moving on. Because <laughs> Whoop Whoop is going to keep me talking about zombies. He keeps bringing up all this awesome zombie stuff. Um, but yes, uh, Love and Adore, the Cornetto trilogy. In my order, it's Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and World's End. I think Barry would just flip those those first two. Um, I, I really needed to bring this up because our last podcast, we mentioned this, and now it feels like there's even more news surrounding this. Written up by Will Shanklin over at Engadget. The DOJ is reportedly prepared to file a broad antitrust lawsuit against Apple. Now... We've been mentioning Apple has been in need of some regulatory oversight and scrutiny for a while now. Um, again, this is coming by way of the New York Times, but Engadget does a really good job of kind of condensing the New York Times report. They're bringing up almost everything that's gone down over the last year. So there's been all of the public shenanigans with messaging, like Beeper. There's also of blocking iMessage integration on Android. 
There's the problem with anti-competitive business practices on location trackers, which Tile has now consulted with the Department of Justice over AirTags. And then also app and data tracking, where Apple gives themselves preferential treatment in what apps can siphon off your data, where they also then go after the uh, marketing and the advertising capabilities of apps like Facebook. So almost every single front of how Apple does business um, in hardware and software is potentially being investigated right now by the DOJ. And they're estimating that, um, I, I think they said second quarter. Oh, I had it up in the article. Uh, bu- 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 bum. Uh, first half of the year. So the U.S. Department of Justice could file a sweeping antitrust case against Apple as soon as the first half of this year, according to the New York Times. Apple is due. When you're a $3 trillion company, you didn't get there from playing fair and upholding standards and improving interoperability and making better products. You got there because you started playing some games. And Apple's been playing some games. And this is where we now improve on how Apple does business with other developers, other hardware suppliers, and the end-user consumers. This is correct when we see how Microsoft is being investigated for their business practices. This is correct when Google is getting investigated for their business practices. And if you go to threads, you're going to find a bunch of angry Apple fanboys who act like somehow Apple should never be investigated for their underhanded business practices. (laughs) I, I made a couple comments and a couple posts about the beeper situation and now my entire feed is basically just people rage baiting. My entire threads feed. I have to go digging for people I know and digging for people I follow to not get, hey guys, what do you think? Apple or Android? <laughs> and you're like, this is such low-hanging fruit BS content to post on social media. Like, I, I don't have any original ideas. I just like to get people worked up. I think I'm going to switch to an Android. What do you guys think? So this is going to be the continuing developing story that we're going to follow up on throughout uh, most of 2024. If there is uh, an actual investigation into Apple's business practices, the only reason the DOJ is jumping on this now is because the EU has already paved many of these roads in how they're trying to rein in the hilariously mustache-twirlingly evil business practices of big tech. It is my ongoing mission to separate the conversation between divisions at these companies, engineers at these companies, and the horrific lack of faith I have in executive leadership at all of these companies. When I talk about how happy I am to see Google get tagged for some pretty tough regulatory uh, oversight or overstepping their, their bounds... That, to me, is a clear indictment of executive leadership at Google. When you meet the people who work on the the Google hardware team or the developers who are in the trenches making these apps, these companies employ some of the most passionate, some of the most hardworking, some of the best engineers and developers the world has ever seen. And then the executives say, but how can we make everyone's life worse? (laughs) And for us to make more money in making everybody else's life worse. When an Apple engineer says, we had Android iMessage ready to go. 
And then Phil Schiller and Craig Federici say, nah, that would make people's lives too easy. We need to make iMessage so much more painful to leave. Apple engineers solved the problem and had a solution ready to go. Apple engineers are amazing. Apple executives are toxic trolls. <laughs> They're dragons hoarding gold coins. That is the, the, the mission that I'm on this year is to separate the individuals and the divisions and the engineers and developers who are doing this incredible work from the ghouls who only stand to make our lives miserable, to profit off of our misery at the tops of these companies. So the DOJ will probably give us more data on that. We got some incredible insight when Epic sued Apple and then Epic won their case against Google. And now it's kind of time to circle that back. For everything that Google got tagged on, Apple does a lot of the same nonsense. So we got to jump on that. It's really important that we get that message out there because we're fighting, uh, we're fighting a battle of good ideas against the companies that spend the most on marketing. And so whatever we say in this space or whenever we join these conversations, it's like it's always a shock when an Apple fan on social media has to confront the idea that Apple's been doing some really underhanded stuff for a couple of years now because they've just been drinking the Kool-Aid. And I don't want to make everything like a hostile con confrontation, but I'm not shying away from this like, oh yeah, I know you like your iPhone, but there are also things that are crap because Apple executives have said you can't do that on your iPhone. That's, that's what you're spending money on. <laughs> I've started doing this with some of, um, some of Marie's coworkers, a bunch of iPhone fanatics. Um, but we went out to, uh, we had a holiday party and I was taking photos with the, the Pixel 8 and, uh, one of Marie's coworkers is a very accomplished photographer. She's really good with her DSLR and, uh, but she just had her iPhone and she knew low light mixed lighting she brought an LED panel. I think I told this story on the podcast two weeks ago. She, she had an LED panel so that she could light her iPhone shots better. And I was just showing her like the night sight photos from the Pixel. And so then she went, oh, can you get a photo of me and my kids? And I did. And then I had to make the joke. I have no way to send it to you. I can't give you this photo. I guess I'll email you because iPhones are too dumb. And her son comes up and he was like, oh, guess you can't airdrop, huh, bro? And I went, yeah. But then I'd have those cameras on my phone. And she got real quiet because she's a legit photographer who just asked a guy with a pixel to take her family's photo. And that's the kind of confrontation that I feel people need. So, yeah, uh, I understand why kids are saying, like, overwhelmingly they just want iOS uh, because their peers are using iOS but it's time to kind of maybe start a market correction on that kind of thinking where after a point, you, why? <laughs> why do you want iMessage? Uh, shouldn't you be on Signal or Telegram or WhatsApp or something else? If that's it, if the, all you wanted an iPhone for was to airdrop, um, you could spend your money a lot better. So it's pretty great. <laughs> Uh <laughs> DTNL, it's the 
<laughs> Sorry, Aditya Nail. It's the 2024th year of our Lord, Corey Dr. O. Can we please stop asking Apple versus Android? The answer is simple. It's a Pixel 4a running Graphene OS. I can't even hang with that. I know people who, who make that their raison d'etre. Um, I, 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 I can't lie. I, I really like, you know, the prettier animation engines in color OS and I like having other fun camera related features. And I've got a Xiaomi over here that I've been increasingly using for all of my production work. It's pretty great. <laughs> oh, Brian Glaze. It's such a bad reason for buying a phone. Quote, everyone else has it. And, and that's the other thing, too, that I just kind of want to get that idea across is, like, a Samsung or an iPhone, I feel they are very good middle-of-the-road daily driver solutions. But people could get a bit more specific about what they really need. And when I pick up a Vivo, it is shocking what the X100 Pro can do at a price, to import the Vivo X100 Pro, it is less than uh, a 128 gig uh, iPhone 15 Plus. The performance, the screens, the charging, and the cameras embarrass the iPhone 15 Plus to a horrific degree. And if you're going to tell me that the thing you need an iPhone for is iMessage, I'm going to feel bad for you. <laughs> I'm going to pity that idea. Because if you sit here and say you care about photography or you care about horsepower or gaming or uh, getting stuff done, getting to done, GTD, work from home, work remote, a Vivo X100 Pro can be imported for $799. That's just embarrassing for Apple right now, but folks here don't know any better because 85% of the North American smartphone market is tied up between Apple and Samsung. So you're kind of coasting on just whatever garbage they put out because you know you're not getting the more competitive options that the rest of the world is starting to play with. In, in North America, we're likely going to be almost three years behind camera hardware and photography trends from Vivo, Oppo, and Xiaomi. And Sharp. And Sharp is the other one that also comes in hitting pretty heavy. If, if you're primarily shopping Apple and Samsung, you, you're three years behind. <laughs> Moving on! That was fun. Um, why don't we spend a little time just kind of getting into some of the new announcements that are coming, um, coming up now that we're in sort of CES. I'm going to take a drink of water. My voice is not used to talking this much. Um, I had a really bad head cold a couple weeks ago, and uh, I think I'm mostly healed, but I'm still pretty fragile. Let me drink, and then uh, let's get into some of the new gear. Oh, and before we jump in, we've got McCorkerin 3, subscribed with Prime, 29 months. That's amazing. Thank you so much for supporting production on this channel. This one's for you, courtesy of one Mr. Barry Johnson, who sent me a stream deck. Ba -ba. All right, um, quick pause, drink of water. Just a quick interjection here, folks. I love highlighting good work and talented people, producers and writers who deserve more attention. So here's a quick word from someone making cool stuff on the internet, and I hope you check out what they have to offer. Do you like podcasts about tech? Oh, yeah. 
Do you like talk podcast about tech where you see I already <laughs> it up? <laughs> uh, that's okay because well, I don't want to stop the recording because then we gotta redo it all. So I'll just yeah, put it. Do you like podcasts? Yeah. Do you like podcasts about tech? Hell yeah. Do you like podcasts about tech that have your favorite creators like Juan Carlos Bagnell, TK Bay, and many, many more? Oh yeah. Well, if you do, you should check out the Nomad Tech Project with Sam and Joe. It's a hey. podcast about everything tech and sport and food and getting to know your favorite creators from the back end like you know you could watch their podcast and hear what they have to say about tech but where do they go to high school what do they like to do before they became a podcaster or a tech creator or a youtuber or a twitch streamer check us out we're on every sunday from 3 p.m central 9 p.m bst in the uk ish we'd love to have you maybe throw a sub and tell your friends about it again nomad tech project with sam and joe on your favorite podcast aggregators take care Love your faces. Be excellent to each other. We'll see you on the show. Goodbye. <laughs> a Mo Morales fan extraordinaire. I love it. Thanks for jumping in. All right. <laughs> Yar, I forgot about Prime subs. No worries. It's good. It's all good. Yar, subscribe to Prime. This is your first month subscribing with Prime. You too. Get a fanfare. Ta-da! All right. Um, CES... New news. I'm a little curious what the wrap-up theme of CES is really going to feel like. But right now, um, we're getting a lot of AI announcements that just sort of have AI stapled to other technologies. Kind of like where we were with crypto and NFTs. My inbox has been slaughtered. I love kind of opening up my email. Um, I did register for CES, but I wasn't sure I was going to be able to go. Obviously, I'm not there. But I love seeing what emails come in. So there's been a lot of conversation, a lot of activity. My email got got slaughtered by folks sending out press releases and stuff. But one of the, the, the trends, and I want to put this out here, um, a lot of companies have dabbled with technologies like virtual reality, augmented reality. We're kind of combining all of this under XR, extended reality solutions. Microsoft has has sort of walked away from their mixed reality platform, but they're still sort of tangentially involved in HoloLens and augmented reality, mostly through government contracts, but they're really going heavier on AI this year. Apple has now announced that Vision Pro is going to be available to, I think, available to pre-order the beginning of February. Now... Everyone is out there trying to talk about VR, AR, XR, like there's a, a there, like there's potential in this market now. Anyone who might catch this, or please send this to other manufacturers, if you're only starting to talk about VR again because Vision Pro is coming, then you failed. Like you're you're dead. There there is no future for your release or launch strategy. If you've been building up your your platform and building out your content and offering solutions in the space and you've built a rapport with folks who are interested in VR and AR, then you've got the potential to survive this. I mean, as much as I'm loath to admit it, I feel like Meta and Quest, they've done a much better job of keeping... Oh, someone just rang my doorbell. Um, they've been doing a much better job of keeping virtual reality alive. 
Um, HTC hasn't been making as much noise as they should have. I'm still hoping that we'll see something from Valve this year, maybe an Index 2 or a standalone VR headset of some kind. It's Quest. Oculus. That's what's been keeping the VR market going. And all these people who act like the Quest isn't doing anything, if you do the math on the number of Quest units sold between Quest 2 and Quest 3 with, I don't know, like the 10,000 Quest Pros that have been sold... Um, Quest occupies a larger install base, I think, right now than Xbox, (laughs) than the current generation of Xbox consoles. Someone please check my math on that. I might have that way off. So Oculus has a platform. They've got people with hardware. They've got units out in the wild. They've got so much more uh, investment being publicly demonstrated. A company coming in now and saying, you know what? I think it's time we give AR a try because Vision Pro is going to save VR. Dead. You're dead. I, I wish it weren't so. But if your strategy is, let's copy Apple, after Apple has taken 13 years, 13 years, to get some kind of AR strategy out in the wild, after the reveal of Google Glass, you're going to fail. <laughs> and, and a bunch of people in this chat have already beaten me to what we're going to be talking about. So yes, the Unreal announcement totally rocked my socks. I'm going to be trying to catch what they might have to offer for uh, for Unreal, but uh, for Xreal, excuse me, Unreal or the old is the older brand name. But we want to start with some of the hardware components kicking this off. Uh, Qualcomm accelerates new wave of mixed reality experiences with the Snapdragon XR2 Plus Gen 2. So we we caught the Snapdragon XR, then there was the Snapdragon XR2 Gen 2, and now there's the XR2 Plus Gen 2. Now, I wouldn't get too lit up about this specifically. Um, I find it a little concerning that they're big announcements up to a 15% increased GPU frequency and up to a 20% increased CPU frequency. Now, if you've been dancing around benchmarks and specs and stuff for a while, they're not talking about performance, they're talking about clock speeds. I don't think (laughs) that's going to mean a dramatically better experience of that's the metric that they're going for. But one of the other things that they are talking about is increased resolution at a higher frame rate. So up to 4.3K display resolution per eye at 90 FPS. Now, digging into what the XR2 platform looks like, that to me means this chip is capable of sustaining that frame rate as a display. That does not mean to me that you can play 4K games through this chip. So remember, when we look at something like Vision Pro, or we look at any of the other spatial computing solutions out there, I'm loath to say spatial computing when it's really just an an Apple rebrand of mixed reality. You need two different compute brains. You need to drive the headset's awareness of space around you, and you need to generate the content. So often what we've had is like a beefy computer. Like if you had like a Valve Index, you plug your Valve Index into a monster PC and you get this really high fidelity VR gaming experience. What these chips are doing, what XR2 is doing, is satisfying 
the device's ability to put out 4K per eye at 90 frames per second. But you need a chip and a processor and a GPU that can generate double 4K images at 90 frames per second. I now have a 4070 Ti in my workstation here. That's a great graphics card, but it's not getting me 4K 120 in games like RoboCop. <laughs> like, with DLSS, we can kind of fudge some of those numbers, do upscaling and frame generation, and that's great. I can get 100 frames per second in RoboCop. I can't get 120, and my gaming monitor tops out at 144. I cannot sustain a frame rate in RoboCop with DLSS at 1440p at 144 hertz. So the claims that are being made by Qualcomm are really exciting for the hardware itself. If you have a very simple user interface that is rendered beautifully at 4K and you can sustain just menus and panels and windows at 90 frames per second in 4K, then this new chip will properly drive these new headsets to put out that 4K at 90 per eye. But if you play a game, <laughs> that game needs to be rendered at 4K and rendered at 90 FPS from some other compute platform, and then the headset will be able to put that out adequately. This is kind of some, some complicated stuff to sort of explain, and I think I might try to put a video out, uh, put a video together to sort of talk about some of these things, but one of the one of the concerning elements is uh, seeing how these companies are sort of shifting and adopting their strategies. We talked about this a while back. Google killed their AR glasses project, and that killed me. Project Iris looked like the true successor to what what I wanted out of Google Glass: discrete glasses, heads-up display, relevant contextual information easy accessibility for audio features, for assistant, for uh, translation, and, and speech-to-text. That, I feel, is a much more valuable next step into augmented reality than putting ski goggles on your face. But Google wants to just make an operating system for AR, and they don't want to be directly responsible for hardware, and they're turning to Samsung to partner on apparently AR devices that have been making people sick when they put them on their faces. So the rumors would suggest. Um, this is another article here coming up from Mixed. Uh, hold on, what is the actual... Oh, no, no, go, stop. Browser, oh, come on. No! Dang it. I've lost the browser plugin there. So anyway, uh, Mixed... <laughs> Well, I'm just going to refresh this. Let's see. Mixednews.com. <laughs> I'm really good at doing the podcasting. Google's AR efforts stumble as vice president of engineering departs, written up by Benjamin Dannenberg. Um, facts. Google's augmented reality team has suffered another significant loss with the departure of Paul Greco, vice president of engineering, Google, Greco left Google to pursue a new opportunity as confirmed by a company spokesperson. However, spokesperson declined to comment on the details of Greco's departure. So we have canceled Project Iris. Samsung is trying to make a version of a Vision Pro. It'll be like a Samsung Vision Pro, but cheaper. That's not going to be exciting to anybody. 
And we've already seen how Google has handled their operating system strategy on things like Wear OS. So, like we just saw, Microsoft kill their mixed reality platform. That means a developer can't easily build on top of a standardized set of resources to get a VR headset out to market more efficiently. Google has no credibility in launching new platforms, like none. There's a whole website dedicated to the graveyard of failed and canceled Google projects. Samsung has dabbled with their VR, dipping their toe in here, then walking away, dipping their toe in there, and walking away. Samsung has no credibility in this space. The two of them together basically mean no one else is going to be given the resources to succeed with Google's AR strategy. Google plus Samsung in Wear OS meant that companies like Fossil and Mobvoi and Casio were all thrown aside. They did not get the same support. They did not get the same quality of resources. And things like Google Assistant, a crown jewel feature of a wearable accessory, were, are still not accessible on platforms like Fossil and Mobvoi. Who is going to look at a Samsung Google strategy for AR or VR and say, you know what? I also want to try. We're going to spend a whole bunch of money, R&D, put out a headset knowing that Google won't give us the same kinds of resources that they give Samsung. That sounds like a great idea to us. Again, if you're only trying to piggyback on the announcements of VR because Vision Pro is going to start selling in February, you are dead. Google's not going to support you. Microsoft's not going to support you. you there, there is no standardized platform or code base or accessibility for another company to jump in. You've got to start making your own stuff. If you can make your own stuff, great. You have Oculus Quest. Meta is making their own stuff. They, they, they will survive <laughs> the sea change of AR um, going Apple's way especially for all the media just sort of hyping up anything that Apple does in any market and, and sort of making the comparison that everyone else is lesser than. But that's it. No one else, I, like my hope is that we see, because there, there was just recently an announcement where Steam is working more closely with Oculus. Um, Valve makes the index and it's still a pretty nice uh, VR headset, but it's a much more traditional, you've got satellites, um, it's a great sort of high fidelity solution, but it's old. It's definitely long in, long in the tooth. But they recently engaged in a partnership with Oculus for, for Steam compatibility. And my feeling is, is that Valve is working out the kinks with their next VR play by using some of this data from Oculus owners. And that, to me, would be the only potential version of VR that I think I would support with my own cash. My Steam library is immense. I still have a ton of Steam VR titles that I would play on a Windows Mixed Reality headset. That's what I would spend money on. I would want to play with an Index 2, and I would spend a lot of money on a premium VR experience from Valve, especially after the lovely experiences I've had with the Steam Deck. Especially if you could do something kind of funky, like if you could Steam Link, where 
I'm playing the game in in an in index two, but it's being generated from a really beefy GPU in my workstation. That that kind of synergy would go really really well. I, I'm not tethered. I, I'm just using my Wi-Fi. I don't know that they can pull something like that off unless someone has like an incredible local area network. But um, that's about it. <laughs> I don't want to spend money on something that has to use my Facebook login. And unfortunately, while I was really excited about the HTC Vive Pro, um, again, it's like HTC keeps kind of half-stepping into whatever the trend is going to be. And then Oculus just comes in and says, but no, because we can rip off user data and monetize all of your behavior data, we can sell cheaper with even better capabilities. And that's a bummer. So when I'm ready to give a company a lot of money, and I would imagine that a Valve Index could be like a two grand investment, I'm going to do that because I'm hoping that means I don't have to like give up all of my data and privacy and, and, and I buy games specifically locked to one platform. So it's, it's a bummer. And Yard, 2084, exactly. Whatever happened to Google Daydream? Google has dabbled with cardboard and dabbled with Daydream, and then they walked away. Well, Daydream was the Snapdragon 821. That was a while ago. I still have the Daydream in the bookshelf behind me. Um, but if Google had just kept a, a more consistent presence, we would have gotten to a point where you take glasses that have all the sensors built into them, and then you plug that into your phone. The failing of Daydream was you put your phone into this caddy, and then the lenses would magnify, so the screen door effect was bad, the pixelation was really bad, but it was at least a functional way to get someone started with some kind of VR experience. But then you had a phone running a Snapdragon 821, nuclear hot, right in front of your eyeballs. I know how to say nuclear, I just do that for dramatic effect. I have to say that so that I don't fall into the trap of actually saying nuclear for real, but it's nuclear. Um, we never got to that separation of duties. Where we are now is a company like Xreal making some of my favorite XR glasses. They're like projector glasses or TV screens floating out in space in front of you. They are incredible. And it's a very basic setup. It's two screens in front of your eyes and sensors to detect your head movement. And then it plugs into your phone. It all runs so much cooler than a contained VR caddy that your phone sits in, blasting heat directly into your eyeballs. And wouldn't you know it, Xreal made a big announcement at CES. <laughs> that was a good transition. I'm patting myself on the back for that one. Here, let's screen share this here real quick. <laughs> the Xreal Air 2 Ultra. So this is a rebrand of the Xreal Lights. So these are now a more spatially aware set of glasses than the Xreal Airs. So I know they're called Air 2, and we recently just saw a whole bunch of videos about the, X, the Air 2 and Air 2 Pro. These are fundamentally different devices. Um, you know what? Actually, I, um, I can demonstrate this. Just by picking up my X reels, I actually still have N reels. See, it's N reel. I've been a fan of this company since before they were X reel, since before they were cool. Okay, so 
two different kinds of spatial and body tracking. And I did a video on this, uh, actually TCL sponsored a video on this, um, just as a quick little recap. Oop. So these are the um, X-Real Air, the Air 1. And you can see they don't have a lot else kind of happening on the outside. There's like a little sensor here that detects when they're on your face. <clears throat> We've got two uh, bird bath optics that, that uh, there's a little screen in the top of each casing and it sort of scoops the video out so that you can see it projected out in space. And then there are a bunch of sensors internal and these only support three degrees of freedom. So uh, your, your sort of lateral, vertical and tilt, but everything that you do on these is locked to your body's position. So I can pin a window out in space in front of me, and if I move my body, the window stays with my body. What the ultra, what the X-Real lights were, were six degrees of freedom. And this is what the Ultra is replacing. It looks very similar to this, but if we go back to the screen share on the Ultra, you'll notice these cameras that, that border the, the lenses on the frames. They're right in front of the arms of the glasses. These cameras track your location in space so that when you pin a window, it stays exactly in that space. So let's say I've got sort of a quasi three-dimensional object, like I can pin this box as a three-dimensional rendered object through my X-Real Ultras. Then when I move, the, the cameras in the glasses detect where I am in space and the sensors in the glasses detect the movement of my head so that I can move around this thing floating in space. On the X-Real Air, I can pin this out in space, but then when I move, it's gonna move with me. With the X-Real Ultras, I pin it, and then I can move all the way around it and see it from all sides. $699 is kind of remarkable for something that is going to be this discreet. So I put these on my face. If you're looking at me, you definitely see this is kind of a bulky contraption for looking like a pair of glasses. But when I'm sitting on an airplane and someone's just walking by my aisle, you're just going to see someone who's looking like kind of a D-bag sitting with sunglasses on in an airplane. You're not immediately going to think that guy's wearing some kind of extended reality display on his face. It's so much more discreet than a full-on ski goggle headset, like a Vision Pro type setup. I've now seen one person with some kind of quest on their face on an airplane. And it was an East Coast flight, which means that they were kind of done after about an hour. I was wearing these for the entire flight because they're much lower power and they're powered off of a host device. And I had them plugged into a phone. Um, well, one flight I did Steam Deck, and so I got about three and a half hours out of that. But then the other flight I did just movies on a phone and was real nice. They're open. Air is moving around your face like a regular pair of sunglasses. There is some heat generated from the components as you're processing those video signals, but it's not nearly as sweaty as suction cupping your, your heat generating equipment to the rest of your face. So this, to me, is one of the more exciting developments in where we might go with augmented reality capabilities. 
is the ability to start pushing into six degrees of freedom, six degrees of movement, of tracking, of spatial location, of room tracking, and your body relative stuff now gets expanded. $700 is pretty good. Um, I, I need to put that into perspective. When I first tested the TCL Nextwares, I want to say that was in 2020, the end of 2020, that was an $800 um, heads-up display set of glasses like these. Um, yeah, I want to say they were $799. And they were very much like the X-Reels. They had a built-in cable. You couldn't replace the cable. They had a built-in uh, uh, shield. So you couldn't look through the birdbath optics. They were completely blocked off. So it was just like a, a much more enclosed uh, uh, vision. Uh, more more enclosed style, and I, I think they were seven ninety nine. In three years, we've gone from basic display projection in a much less sophisticated packaging to six degrees of head and body tracking in space with much higher quality optics and much better sound. Um, and they're a hundred dollars less. <laughs> We've shaved a hundred dollars off of the, what, what the bleeding edge of what this kind of, uh, XR capability should look. Ooh, whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop, Mac Jenkins. The developer API has support for connecting two Air Ultras together to view shared objects 3D space. Now, two people can co-op a quest in first person. And this was the dream. So Google Glass came out. 13 years later, Apple Vision Pro arrives. Um, but one of the things that I think was keeping the hype train running on Apple's AR strategy is they kept showing us really cool AR experiences powered by iPhones. Don't you remember some of those gaming demos? You hold up your iPhone and you see this like complex game type environment and someone else holding an iPhone is seeing the exact same game but from their perspective and you can move these things around in a shared space if Xreal can pull that off at $700, that's kind of remarkable. You tell your phone to communicate with their phone. You're both wearing very lightweight, open, airy, casual glasses. And you're not in VR space. Like, I can still see everything that's out here in front of me. I'm not directly making eye contact with my eyeballs. I'm looking like a D-bag wearing my shades indoors. But I'd be looking at the person I'm playing with, and then the glasses would be projecting this game space in front of us, and we'd both be able to see it from different sides. At its simplest, it's like, hey, I could always have a Monopoly board out in space in front of us, and we can both play off the same board to more complex, like D&D-style campaigns where we can really interact with that kind of content and footage together at the same time while still being able to see each other. $700. I love it. So I'm going to put in a pre-order. <laughs> I'm going to try and get my hands on these um, because I feel like it's this and then TCL Ray Neo. Uh, Ray Neo still has not made any kind of declaration as to their international strategy. 
and the X2 look like a less entertainment-focused version of this idea. The Ray Neo X2 look more like heads-up display and information delivery systems. So we've got sort of a flavor on each side. We've got one version of this that looks more like a Google Glass, pop-ups and data and maps and tracking. And then the X real side of this is more entertainment and gaming and multimedia. And that to me is, that's an exciting split. We're not all trying to do the exact same thing at the exact same time. Oh, let me get rid of this comment here. Let me catch up with the comments here. You guys actually had a lot to say about some of this stuff. <sighs> Yar. No, that would have been terrible, uh, Yar says. But Juan, Pixel Fold, Google Daydream, that would be amazing. Not with the way that a Tensor 2 runs kind of on the warm side. <laughs> and then also, you don't want a folding phone, like... You know, if you drop that headset, man, that's not good for hinges and stuff. Oh, <laughs> right immediately after. Oh, wait, Tensor 2 would scald your face. Haha. <laughs> Simon says, Hypno, I remember when N-Reels were better on vinyl. I liked X-Reel before they were cool. But I did. Mine are still called N-Reels. I loved N-Reels. Okay, um... Uh, Ghost Star Scream, how crisp is the 1080p screen on them? So, um, I have not spent a lot of time with the uh, X-Real Air 2s. But the X-Real Air 2s are a little like the Rain Neos. So let me get these. The new lower cost um, TCLs. So TCL spun off, I, I keep splitting these, but TCL spun off part of their display tech and their, their, um, Ray Neo. So, uh, TCL started off, I think the first proof of concept with that Nextware. This is the, uh, um, I forget what the, the name of this is. It's just, the, I think they're the Ray Neo Air. Um, but what the Ray Neos do, every XR glass setup has a different sort of, uh, how, do, how do I want to explain this? I, I am not qualified as an optical engineer. If I handed these off to my sister, my sister has a PhD in uh, physics and with a focus on optics. So when she starts talking about lenses and light, she is much better qualified to explain what I'm going to try and struggle through here. But we've got like this focusing housing. We've got a lens that when this little micro OLED in the top of these frames projects out an image, this lens stretches out that image so that you can see something floating out in space in front of you. We, we casually call this a birdbath optic because it kind of scoops. And that's why these things look like they're so much further out from our face and they ride kind of funny high on your head because you need the housing for the micro OLEDs above your eyebrows. So, how you focus a lens, that's kind of tricky. Every one of these pairs of XR glasses has sort of a different equivalent viewing experience. And so things like IPD, the uh, pupillary distance, those little differences significantly change the feeling of how far out the image is projected and how crisp that image might be 
for your eyes. So if the X-Real Air don't do it for you, the X-Real Air 2 are focused slightly different. We're trying to come up with a good average. There is no average. We can't make one pair of earbuds that are in the ear canal and accessibly comfortable for everybody. Ears are funky and different. Your eyes are funky and different too. So the, the little time that I've spent wearing the Air 2, they don't work for me as well as the original X-Real Air. The original X-Real Air are still the crispest visuals for my eyes. They fit my face perfect. They're focused exactly right, and the way that um, the X, uh, the N-Reels, the X-Real Air 1s do, like, adjustments, it sounds terrible, like you're breaking plastic. The TCLs do this now, too. Um, but the way that you can kind of angle that out, I get exactly the image that I want to see on the Air 1. It's a little blurrier for me on the Air 2. This is one of the, the, the things that's kind of difficult to talk about, is... You need to customize this experience to fit your face in a way that it makes sense. So the new Ray Neos don't fit my face very well, but the older TCLs fit my face great. So the image that I get on the older TCLs is much better than on the newer Ray Neos for my eyes. And that's one of the things, like... You can't change a lot of this stuff. That's one of the reasons why these things are so inexpensive. We're talking about glasses that do some really sophisticated uh, image projection. And they're like 400 bucks. They're like the price of a good OLED portable monitor, but it's two portable monitors that are strapped to your face. That's kind of expensive to do, so you've got to cut costs in other places and making those finer adjustments to... To, to arrive at a better sort of viewing experience, that's tough. So Ghost Star Scream, unfortunately, uh, Ghost Star Scream asks, how crisp is the 1080p screen on them? That is a person-by-person -person answer going uh, glasses-by-glasses -glasses to find the best fit for you. On the X-Real Air 1, it's a gorgeous 1080p. It is sharp. It is clean. It, it is perfect for me. It looks so much better than like looking at a little 1080p screen. It is a, just a wonderful big screen representation of full HD. I love it. But I can't say it's going to be the same for you. <laughs> All of that rambling aside, I can't say, I was just going to say. Um, moving right along, uh, from Geet Madden. I love the X reel for flights. Also allows me to keep my neck in any position. I'm telling you plug into a steam deck, plug into a Nintendo switch. I mean, you have to get some adapters and stuff to power it all properly, but I I'm watching people all hunched up over phones and tablets and laptops, and I'm just kicking back and my steam decks just in my lap and I'm gaming away and it is so nice. The screen, the image, it's all better than the 720p on my LCD Steam Deck. And then it's just you're so much more comfortable. And and if you're kind of sensitive about travel, like I've been really sensitive about travel, that comfort, it's such a big deal. I, I, I cannot stress this enough. Like to me, they're worth every penny, especially now that you can get the X-Real Air 1 
at a reduced price. I, I think like I've seen them on sale in like the three hundred dollar range. It's so great. Um, ha Sam, hey Juan, are you planning on at least trying the Vision Pro in store? So I'm gonna look around. Um, I'm curious. I, like I said, the, in sort of talking about Apple and the DOJ, I'm very curious to see what Apple engineers can do. Um, I've been super critical of what Apple has shown off because I've been disgustingly underwhelmed with Apple taking 13 years to build some kind of AR strategy to eventually arrive at the stuff that mixed reality headsets were doing like five years ago. Um, but I'm, I'm curious. I, I feel like Apple's going to bring some really expensive and premium components to things like the displays. This is one of the reasons why we won't see a lot of Vision Pro sold, is because the yield on 4K micro OLEDs is crazy. Sony cannot make them enough screens to sell more Vision Pros. But I'm not impressed with this battery design. I'm not impressed with heavy and, and hot materials. Like, I don't need this to be made out of metal on my face. It's like headphones. If I have a travel pair of headphones, I want them to be light and comfortable. And all of the electronics that go into making an outer display, to me, that just adds more heat, reduces battery power for the nebulous benefit of someone kind of being able to make eye contact with a really uncanny valley representation of your face animated. That brings me no, I don't want to spend a dime on that. So if there is some kind of opportunity to maybe schedule an appointment and check them out, I, I might. And I, and I think, you know, living out here, I, I should be able to find an Apple store in Los Angeles that might do some kind of setup for that. Um, but I probably won't be jumping on it right away. I, I, like, if, if there's an opportunity, I'm going to try and take that opportunity. But I'm really not that excited about Vision Pro. The only thing that is exciting to me about Vision Pro is Apple mandating technologies like 4K OLEDs means that those 4K OLEDs are going to start showing up in other products too. If I can get a 4K OLED version of the X-Real Air, I'm a lot happier. I'm a lot more excited about that eventually making its way into the consumer space. The SGGQA podcast is brought to you in part by Me Audio. So here's the deal. If you've ever seen me in a live stream or in an interview or some other kind of video, you've probably seen me wearing some fancy earbuds. For the last couple years, my work buds have been almost exclusively from Me Audio. Excellent drivers, fantastic accessories, and both my wife and I had our ears scanned by the folks at Me Audio for custom molded ear tips. Super comfy. The MX line of Pro in-ear monitors is one of the easiest lineups to understand, starting at $60 and built around actual professional use. Detailed sound and durable construction, but also with some fun options like customizable faceplates. Even if you're not working on stage or in studio, Pro solutions like these are fantastic audio options, and they don't need to break the bank. And the company also supports a lineup of consumer gear with options for true wireless and noise-canceling Bluetooth earbuds, adapters for TVs to stream your audio to nicer headphones, and headsets for kids to help control the volume on fresh, developing ears. I can't stress that last one enough. 
We have to start kids out with healthier listening habits. It's a great combo, high-quality audio gear built by a team of folks with recording-grade use in mind, but at consumer-friendly prices. But of course, I can do you one better. If you shop the kit at meaudio.com and use promo code SOMEGADGETGUY at checkout, you can save an additional 10% over their already competitive prices. Once again, meaudio.com, M-E-E, audio.com. Shop some fun kit, promo code SOMEGADGETGUY at checkout, 10% off. Keep your ears and your wallet happy at the same time. I want to thank the folks at MeAudio for hooking up the promo code now. Let's get on with the show. Ha Sam says, but it says the oh for the Xreal Air 2 Ultra. Yeah, let me let me actually kind of show off this page here for the Xreal um Air 2 Ultra. Uh pre-order starts shipping by end of March. Um spatial computing, the S22 and S23 running one UI5 or one UI6 on Snapdragon processors. I also want to highlight that. So Xreal is saying this current experience that they've built so far is going to be uh, focused on Qualcomm. So it looks like we've probably got some sensors that are compatible with Qualcomm tech in these. Um, And so it might not work at launch with Exynos-powered Galaxy phones. But, you know, they're not mentioning S24 because technically S24 doesn't work yet. But we've got all of these other things too. So screen mirroring is still gonna is still gonna work for, via blah, 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 via USB C. X real beam is still gonna work for just three degrees of head tracking, but the Nebula for Mac Beta is gonna work with six degrees of head tracking. So that means to start when these things first launch, S twenty three is gonna be one of the only ways that you can do the full six degrees. The reason for that is, is because they're probably the highest selling per unit or per volume of premium Android handsets running Qualcomm hardware that definitely support video output through the USB-C. Ditto, Nebula for Mac is significantly more advanced than Nebula for Windows. There is a Nebula for Windows beta. It's not great. So again, my, my guess would be at launch, very limited compatibility, but this stuff has scaled pretty quickly. And once you sort of uh, dog food your your testing, that's not the right word. Once you kind of <laughs> beta test through all of this stuff on the S23s, and you get some of that user feedback, especially from like the Xreal community over on on Reddit. Um, I would be very surprised if their Android app isn't updated in total so that anyone running a Qualcomm-powered premium phone with video out through the USB is capable of kind of catching up to that. But I think they've got to be exceedingly conservative about what devices are going to support what experiences. I I really want you to look at this page. This is their pre-order page, and... Immediately under what's included in the box is a list of compatible devices that is very specific about spatial computing, screen mirroring, Xreal beam support, and software for a laptop. One of the things that really seemed to piss off people when the original Nreals launched was like I said, okay, so now you can do AR stuff and you can you can plug this in and see uh, a screen mirrored view. But it doesn't work on my iPhone. It doesn't work on this other phone. 
How come my Google Pixel doesn't work with it? You've got all of these hateful, angry techies who didn't know that their own products couldn't support this kind of technology. Enreal went out and said, hey, yeah, this is going to work with this and this. But then they didn't explicitly spoon feed everybody into saying, oh, by the way, your iPhone can't put out video without this dongle and this adapter and being plugged into power. It doesn't even work on an iPhone. Well, yeah, because Apple. But Enreal said this would do screen mirroring, so they caught all of the flack for that incompatibility from Apple not properly supporting some of these standards over a lightning cable. So I am not surprised to see only Samsung at launch. That to me makes perfect sense that they are being very clear and very articulate about exactly what experiences you should try to, you should anticipate when this thing starts. And then you're going to see some press releases later on. Like, I'll be shocked if we don't see Motorola listed within a month (laughs) of the app actually going out and maybe catching an update. Because once you have like an Edge Plus with video output and you've got Ready 4, you've got all that support built in, it's a powerhouse chip, then you can also expand on your support. But you don't start by saying, oh yeah, it totally does six degrees. Because then someone's going to pick up the IQ 12. I have this, this incredibly powerful IQ 12 right here. IQ 12, Snapdragon 8 Gen 3, great cameras. This is a screamer for gaming, high-end computing. Awesome. USB 2, doesn't support video output. No, no screen sharing, no mirroring, no XR glasses, nothing. It doesn't matter that it has the 8 Gen 3. It matters that the uh, manufacturer didn't fully support the USB spec so that we could do something like plug-in glasses. Uh, the the uh, corollary to that, I also have the Vivo X100 Pro. Vivo X100 Pro has this brilliant feature on the USB port. It supports video output. You can plug this into another monitor or some XR glasses, but it's running a MediaTek chip, and it's going to take a while to properly support all of the hardware of the MediaTek CPU and MediaTek GPU, because I don't think MediaTek has pushed their AR strategy as aggressively as Qualcomm has. So when they start making that app, they've got to now take into account different platforms and different uh, APIs and different developer tools to get that on board. So you don't launch saying, oh yeah, if you've got a Vivo X100 Pro, the most powerful smartphone on the market today, you can totally plug in our glasses and get six degrees of head tracking and spatial computing because they haven't made it for MediaTek yet. So I... it gets messy. <laughs> so as Dr. Claw has quoted me, I'm going to put in a pre-order. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Barry Johnson, we will allow dog food. <laughs> and whoop, whoop, you knew this, dude. Wait, six degrees of freedom for Mac? I'm pre-ordering. Uh, Xreal has been ahead of the curve on supporting the MacBook. The, the, the Nebula app on Mac is, is surprisingly good. Yeah, I'm Barry Johnson. IQ12, such a beast, but no video out. It killing me. There are all of these other experiences and things that we could do with this incredible amount of compute power in our phones, but you can't get it out of the phone 
if you don't have support for video output. Um, from John Gao, I wonder what the UI will be like for mixed reality on Galaxy with Xreal Air 2 Ultra, similar to DeX. So it won't be like DeX at all. Um, you can see the UI. Excuse me. You can see the UI that Xreal is currently using. I have videos out on the Xreal Air and on, where is it? It's on my desk, on the Beam. So this is the Beam, and I've got a video coming out soon because this also just got some updates where it now supports direct sideloading of Android APKs. So you can run an app directly off of the Beam, or you can use the Beam to add spatial and head tracking capabilities to another display. So if I plug my laptop into the beam, the beam can take the video from the laptop and turn it into a floating window in space with the proper pinning and head tracking. Or I can run an app directly from the beam and not have it connected to another computer. Uh, there are still some issues with the beam and I hope they can address some of the performance. It, it does run a little warm for it being a contained brain, but it's gotten a lot better. So um, what Xreal does is they've got this floating strip and you, you, as you turn your head, you see parts of the strip and then you can push that strip further and closer to your face. So I would imagine that they're probably going to keep that style UI, but then allow you to pin it to like one side. And then as you look away and you move away from that strip, it's going to stay where you put it. And if you want, you can like walk sideways and just see it go totally two dimensional and become just sort of like a, flo a floating line of UI in front of you until you reset it. That's, that's my guess. Um, I believe that's similar to how they treated the light. Uh, the Enreal light before they rebranded re the name of their six degree headset. And I think it's going to be something similar to that. So I, what I just spent all that time explaining, John writes, gotcha, it's similar to what BM offers, then why is it restricted to Galaxy devices, but not like all eight Gen 2 devices supporting video out? I just spent all that time explaining that, John. You start with one phone to specifically say, we support these features. And it's not, it's not Galaxy devices. It's literally two generations of Galaxy S. You could probably pull this off with a Galaxy Tab. You could probably pull this off with a Galaxy S10. They're not listing those devices. They are zeroing in on two very specific, recently sold, decently high sales numbers. I mean, we're talking about, what is that, like 40 million-ish phones over those two years, somewhere in that ballpark, to say, this is where we're starting. And that way, you've primed consumer expectations that it will work on those devices, and then you expand from there. You expand to S21s and to S20s and to S10s. You expand to Motorola Edge Pluses. You expand to MediaTek processors. But you got to start somewhere. And that's what I spent all that time just explaining is the big problem people had with the Unreal was they didn't understand the limitations of other devices that would host the content going to the glasses and you see tons of angry reviews and reactions to people when it didn't work on a pixel, when it didn't work on an iPhone, when it didn't work on other powerful phones, 
you start here, you keep it really conservative, you know it's going to work the best it can on that one on, on those two devices, and then you build out from there. So uh, eventually, I think it'll get around. Like, there's no reason why something like this couldn't work on a Sony. It, it has its own UI. It has its own uh, presentation. It should work on a Moto. It should work on a Vivo. It should work on a Xiaomi. Um, I actually did most of my X-Real and uh, Rokid. That was the other company. I was forgetting Rokid. Um, I did most of my Rokid testing on my Xiaomi 13 Ultra. But you can't just broadly say, oh, it'll work on Android. Because then most, 90% of the Android phones sold aren't going to support this experience. So it's easier just to start and say, we know it's going to work the way we want you to see it on S22 and S23. And then you go from there. I'm not faulting X-Real at all. I don't like Samsung. I think this is the right play for X-Real. This is absolutely the place to start and the way to do this. So I, 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 we'll have to see. At some point, I feel like they'll probably come out with a press release. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put money out there. Let's say... Let's say by May, we see an opening, a press release saying future, uh, you know, so the, the updates are now going to properly support other Android devices with Qualcomm chipsets made within the last two years that feature video output. So Xperia 1 Mark 5, Xperia 1 Mark 6, Moto Edge 2023, Moto Edge 2024, and who am I missing? Um, maybe Xiaomi 14, uh, Xiaomi 13 series and Xiaomi 14 series. And then by the end of the summer, I bet we'll see some conversation about MediaTek, uh, processor phones too, but that's international and that's not going to be a huge market here in the North American conversation to say, Oh, now it properly supports the Vivo X80 pro X90 pro and X100 pro. So that's, that's going to take some time. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Simon says Hypno. Honor needs to get in on that, too. Um, we had some other announcements to, to kind of dig through real quick, but I knew I was going to spend a lot of time on, uh, <laughs> on AR and VR. Um, I, I do just want to highlight some of these real fast. I am torn on Dell's new design for the XPS lineup. This is the official Dell press release. I think this looks really generic. Um, drop a comment in the chat. This is, they're talking about streamlining the XPS line and making it look cleaner and more sophisticated. They're adding the um, co-pilot button to their keyboards. I don't know why this became such a big talking point that the first major change to Windows keyboards in generations. Um, yeah, okay, so now you can push a co-pilot button and get an AI assistant to talk to you. But the only line of laptops that I really keep up with from Dell are the XPS series. And the look on this kind of is like, what if we sort of watered down the lines of a MacBook? And I think this is, I don't know, I, I'm underwhelmed I'm with this as their strategy. It looks, it does look clean, 
But it's sort of like if a MacBook and a Surface had a baby and then Dell sort of scooped the bottom edges of the laptop shell in a way that looks kind of Chromebooky to me. Like, I don't think this looks clean and sophisticated. I actually think this looks a little cheap. I'd really want to see one in person because I'm sure it's built really nice. But the outer just sort of look, like at a glance... This doesn't look like something that screams, I spent a lot of money on a laptop and I I'm I own a premium built machine. It sort of just blends into the fog or to the haze of what other laptops look like. I don't know, I'm, I'm a little disappointed. Um, yeah, Simon says Hypno. It looks very functional, but bland. It doesn't, it doesn't look bad, but it doesn't look new. It looks like something we've seen a whole bunch of. I'm not besmirching the company. To me, that bottom tray, like where the keyboard is, it looks a little like an Acer Chromebook to me. It doesn't look nice and fresh. It looks kind of like a retread. Um, oh, from Last Divine. This is the laptop I wanted. Saw lots of promising reviews, and it can and it can game debrand it. <laughs> okay, uh, go, go, in, go in for some vinyl stickers on your really premium XPS laptop. That's cool. Um, I'm, I've actually now tasked Lex with decorating all of my review devices. So um, she, uh, she put a Trader Joe's stickle, sticker. She put a Trader Joe's sticker on my Pixel 8 Pro. But I actually really like the look of this. This is silly. But she put this this like neon sk- roller skate on my OnePlus Open. Like she didn't put any thought on this. She was like, "Oh, Daddy's making me put stickers on his phones." Um, I don't know why, but this looks really cool to me now. So uh, if if that's what the XPS is is gonna be, I've been a little anxious about the laptop conversation because I know I'm gonna have to spend some money on laptops this year. Because for me. The uh, the pain point has been battery life on high-performance machines. So what we have in Windows land is compared to like a MacBook. Again, Apple engineers, amazing. Apple executives who think 8 gigabytes of RAM is adequate to start a pro machine. Apple executives can take a long walk off a short pier. Um, what we have in Windows land is a really, uh, is a really awesome collection of portable desktops. They're not great machines when you need to run them on their own battery power. And so this year, we're going to start getting, you know, that new Snapdragon, that Elite X um, SoC. And I'm really anxious to see what changes because I want to see laptops that you can still upgrade, that you can add more storage to, that you can add more RAM to. But going to an SoC design like we have with the MacBook might mean we lose some of those practical functional upgradable parts but then we might get something that really does sort of sustain that higher tier of performance when it's off of power so the xps line this is this has always been sort of like a staple of the laptop conversation the other company that also made a little bit of noise was razor um this is actually an article coming by way of tom's hardware i couldn't find the official razor uh release on this um, but you know, they're, they're updating the razor blade, the refreshed blade 16. Um, they're going to have an OLED 
what is it? The OLED at 1440p resolution? I might have this wrong. Do I have this wrong? Okay, yeah, no, I had it. So here from the article. Um, it's an OLED on a 16-inch uh, a 16-inch OLED that in the 1440p uh, can hit 240 hertz refresh rate. Then they're going to have a 4K um, LED that hits 165 hertz refresh rate. I haven't been as excited. Like, I, I used to be a... a, a a blithering razor fanboy. Um, but again, like where I've kind of chilled a little bit on, um, on windows laptop tech over the last couple of years, especially as I've just been relying more and more on my phones to get high level compute work done. Um, the laptop conversation hasn't been quite as exciting, but you know, a 240 Hertz refresh OLED is crazy to put into a portable like that. The Dell XPS getting a, a major refresh and a, and a totally new design language is should be an exciting thing to talk about. Um, but for me, it's, it's whether or not we're going to see in the latter half of this year some practical demonstrations of ARM, Windows on ARM, and seeing what we can do with, uh, with that kind of hardware. The last thing, just to kind of show off here, um, here, let me get this out of the way. Uh, right there. Um, uh, an announcement from LG Display. And this was just a really cool concept that I, I love seeing the LG Display concepts. Um, I should mention, this is like completely different than LG Consumer. So LG runs these different consumer electronics divisions. They're all kind of siloed. So like the same company that makes TVs is sort of under the same umbrella as the company that makes like laptops and uh, washer and dryer and home electronics and stuff like that. Very broad. I have completely <laughs> oversimplified the internal hierarchical structure of LG. So that's like one silo. LG Display exists as a completely separate component of the grander LG organization. It's a little bit more like those divided parts of Samsung. Samsung Semiconductor is different than Samsung Display is different than the team that makes the Galaxy smartphone. It's like they're almost separate companies at this point. So LG Display has put out this, um, this concept called Smartphone on Wheels. And so immediately we would all be really sad because LG left the smartphone market. But LG Display is making this, not LG Consumer Electronics. And this is like just a really pretty look at what like the future of a connected car might look like. Where I also really appreciate some of these design decisions like having an extended display dashboard. Instead of a tablet that floats by your steering wheel, this is more up at eye level. It's almost a uh, heads-up display style internal display and it wraps the entire dashboard for relevant information to the driver and entertainment information to a passenger. And then they've got some cute little add-on touches like for people in the backseat, these tablet displays can swivel down. And if your car has its own uh, data connection, then everyone is sort of fed um, with uh, streaming content and video and, and the ability to kind of uh, coordinate all of that internally in the vehicle. And it's just a really clean look. Um, this is the kind of like automotive tech that I would love to see actually attempted, um, in this space where, where we see like a Tesla has cameras 
and every other automobile manufacturer just kind of shrugs their shoulders like, well, my car got damaged. No, there's nothing we can do. I wish there was a way that we could record someone damaging your car, but there's just no way. And then you look at a Tesla and you're like, well, no, we could put cameras on these cars. That wouldn't be very difficult and it wouldn't be a significant cost. And it would make uh, insurance claims easier to file and it would save people a lot of money in the long run. And it would also highlight criminal behavior from people vandalizing uh, private property. That would be great. That would be a nice benefit. That would be a good perk. So these kinds of concepts, it's heavily focused on entertainment and connected car and the 5G, which 5G has been useless. Um, (laughs) It's been a terrible generational change in how we make connected devices. All these promises of like IoT and faster throughput and all that stuff, most people haven't benefited from any of that. But when we see a concept like this from the company that actually makes these displays, that's where I'm a little bit more excited about things like bending, folding, and scrolling OLEDs. So you've got like this heads-up display in your car. We're not actually building it into the windshield yet. Like, I, I feel like we're years away from that being safe to have image data built directly into your windshield. And then we'd also have the durability problem. You take a rock from a truck and then it busts your super expensive windshield. That's not a great solution. I don't think we're there. But think about like being able to roll a screen up. You don't have the same kinds of daily abuse durability concerns where you're opening a phone and closing a phone and opening a phone. And I can still hear some of that bending and creaking as the plastic is warping and shifting. Um, I'm not sure folding phones are really it. But if I've got a computer monitor and the computer monitor can pull around my peripheral vision for when I want a gaming experience and can flatten when I want more of a sort of a work type setup, that to me is really interesting. That to me is, is, a, is a use of a folding or a bending OLED that is conventional. It's not the, the most you know, mind-blowing style of use, but it's something we haven't seen yet. And it's something that I think could really benefit someone. And I think in the car, that's where we could see some of this tech really start to manifest. It scrolls up when you're operating the vehicle and you've got a passenger and you can kind of, you know, coordinate and and utilize all of this space for data and information. And then when you park, you don't want a sensitive plastic screen just getting hit in California sun where, you know, it's going to be 200 degrees on the inside of that car. So you park, you get out, and then it all tucks away. It all closes up. It all, it contains itself. That kind of stuff I think would be really, really cool. So, um, yeah, (laughs) I just, I like, well, first of all, I just saw LG display and you're like, I miss talking about LG. (laughs) I'm always going to miss like those two letters being such a, such a daily part of my, uh, of my existence. Let me just kind of wrap up some of these comments here uh, from Last Divine, Debranded. Okay, also following up, webcam, clean, simple look, no bezels, better speakers. I mean, that's all cool. 
that's all cool. I, what I what I mean though is like what we see in terms of Dell's design philosophy in trying to simplify this is something that's kind of already taken place with like Huawei Matebooks from like four or five years ago. And I'm not I'm not saying don't like it. I'm not trying to argue with you. I just mean for them making so much noise about this new design philosophy to arrive at something that kind of looks like a bunch of laptops we've already seen before. I would have had other, I, like, I don't want the XPS line to look like funky cyber gamer laptops, but there is, to me, that is not a distinctive look that I would look at and say, oh, that's the new Dell. Whereas, like, a MacBook is always a MacBook is a MacBook. A Razer is a Razer is a Razer. Now I feel like XPS is kind of watering down what would have made them look a little distinctive. Um... Let's see. Oh, Simon says to know, bring on the Snapdragon X Elites. I'm really anxious to see if we get those laptops. I really want to see what X Elites can do. Um, from Yar2084, I really want to get a laptop, but I can't think of a reason to purchase one that my Android tablet can't do. And that has also been a major problem for some of my coverage, where I keep playing with some of these laptops, and unless they are industry-specific... I can point to things that I can do on my phones that my phones will do adequately or better than a current laptop as a whole other compute product. And I can get it done just as quickly or sometimes even faster. And that's why I really want to see some improvement to the performance per watt when on battery power. And we're not going to get that in our current flavor of x86. <laughs> DTNL, wow. Juan defending Tesla. What next? Samsung is the bestest. Apple just might be more worth it than Xiaomi. Bluetooth audio is actually the future. And just stop being poor. The hammer and sickle frown upon you. <laughs> wow, Aditya. I said one nice thing about Tesla cameras. I feel like you kind of ran with that. <laughs> oh, Jeffro. I know. I would love to see LG come back to the smartphone business. Unfortunately, that's just not gonna happen um lg not only like walked away but they dissolved that department so they'd have to build from scratch so that's just not a thing anymore the the idea of an lg smartphone unless they license another company to make a phone that they just slap a label on they're 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 i think they're proper gone Gormlord, thoughts on the MSI Claw? That was going to be a part of our lineup, and I had completely forgotten because I really do like MSI gear, but I am really anxious about the rumors on this one. Um, where, Who had it? Uh, I, I'll just pull up PC Guide. I, I don't know if they'll mention what... Well, they don't even have a picture of it. What, what was the point of this article? Um, let's try and find another one here real quick. Okay, so here I can screen share this. This is from Tweaktown. We can at least see a picture of it. Asymmetrical joysticks, no touchpads, so it's not like a Steam Deck in having alternate controls. Um, very similar kind of layout to something like we might see on an, uh, an Asus, an ROG Ally. It's not detachable controls like the Lenovo Legion. What I'm really concerned about is their Intel strategy. 
So we're, we'd be very con- like confident that this is the sort of leaked specs that they've got out here. An Intel Core 7 Ultra uh, 155H. That's uh, Oh, it says it right here. I was trying to do it from memory. 16 cores up to 22 threads with Arc graphics. So this is a nice little upgrade over the previous generations of Intel integrated graphics. But I don't believe this chart's estimated TDP. So they're showing off like a Valve Steam Deck is a 4 to 15 watt SoC. And an Asus ROG Ally is a 9 to 30 watt SoC. And then they talk about the Intel Core 7 with 16 cores as a 28 watt SoC. I'm not confident that an Intel powered portable handheld gaming machine is somehow finding performance that outpaces AMD solutions in this space. Right now, Intel wins in this sort of idea of a single core, a single thread, high performance CPU benchmarking race. But in everything that I've seen in detailing laptop parts and desktop parts, Intel is significantly behind in efficiency. It wins the outright sprint, but it does it at substantially higher power draw. I think um, it wasn't hardware unboxed. I think it was Gamers Nexus. Someone correct me on this, but they got like a snarky comment. No, it was. It was Gamers Nexus. Um, They got a snarky comment from a viewer just like, I bet if you matched power to this that AMD would lose bad and Intel would wipe the floor with AMD. And you're like, they went and did weeks of testing in measuring efficiency and performance. They even came up with this whole new measurement of like, uh, like frames per watt. And in so many of their tests, yes, an Intel could outperform an AMD in just total frame rate. But if you tried to measure the power draw per the number of frames, Intel was wrecked on efficiency. So that's my big concern with the MSI Claw. Um, Right now, I know the ROG Ally is a higher performing part. I know the Lenovo Legion Go is a higher performing machine. You, if you need the bestest frame rates, sure, go get them. But my recommendation for portable gaming and really like playing on the go would be Steam Deck OLED. I, like what, what Valve has done in terms of efficiency at the expense of frame rate, but in, in terms of efficiency, being able to go on battery and play for longer is a, I think a big, is a bigger draw for a lot of the games that you would want to play on the go than maximizing the top peak frame rate. Because then also, once these things start to run a little warmer, you don't sustain that frame rate. So when you settle into a sustained frame rate, the ROG Ally and the Lenovo Legion Go are still better than the Steam Deck, but they're not radically better for that portable gaming experience. It really shows off when you're trying to hit it with higher quality graphics at 1080p resolutions. That's, they they do better. They are more powerful. But that's not what I want when I pick up my Steam Deck. When I pick up my Steam Deck, I want to be able to play Sonic Team Racing for more than two hours on a flight. 
when I pick up my Steam Deck, I want to be able to hand it off to my daughter and let her dabble around with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Vampire Survivors and not have to worry about recharging going from L.A. to New York. When I pick up my Steam Deck, it is so much more nuanced than just, did I get four more frames per second in Hellblade? That's what 10% looks like, and that's often kind of the window that we see in differences in performance. I don't care about those four frames per second. I care, could I play Hellblade for an entire flight to New York? I can't do that on my LCD Steam Deck. I'd be a lot closer on an OLED Steam Deck. Sorry. Rambling, yet again, MSI Claw Claw looks cool, but I am very anxious about that Intel chip. You're running an Intel chip on a build of Windows. I'm assuming it's a build of Windows. That is not a great combo for handheld portable power efficiency, in my opinion. The rest of this looks cool, like 32 gigs of RAM, whatever they're going to do for storage. I'm sure there will be different tiers. I mean, I'm excited to see the hardware, but I still think my recommendation into 2024 is Steam Deck OLED. Um, We'll we'll have to see. Uh, Let's get this out. Oh, Yar, I wish Google would make another Pixel tablet also. That was pretty sweet. I like the 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 tablet the, the tablet that we have now is good. I'm not sold on all the smart display side of it. Like it's got this charging dock, that's fine. Really the only thing that's kind of worked is my daughter likes to ask it questions and play games, and that's fine. But otherwise it's just sort of a regular tablet. <laughs> See, Copacash, Corsair has a 45-inch gaming monitor that uses both flat and curved when you like. Um, yeah. Now, I want to see that in maybe not a 45-inch. Like, what is... I've got a... 34. So, I've got a 34-inch gaming monitor here. Um, I, I have a, a Cooler Master. Sorry, I couldn't remember what monitor I own. Um, and I would like to be able to, I have it on an arm too. So I swivel it out when I want a game and I can keep it like right in front of my face. And I would love to have the option to like flatten it. Um, that's, that's really where I want to, um, see like bending screen tech kind of evolve. Uh, I think folks are wrapping this chat up. Oh, and Simon says Hypno has to has to go hit a hit a lecture. So I think that's probably where we should start closing this show down. Um, we're gonna get a lot more out of CES. Our buddy TK Bay, he is in Vegas right now, so definitely keep up with his coverage. I think he's mostly gonna just be hitting shorts and videos and reels and stuff like that. I don't know that he's gonna be doing big YouTube production. Um, for, for this CES. So uh, since I'm not out there, I'm going to heartily recommend that we support our buddies who are going to be on the ground in Vegas doing some good work. And uh, I think we're going to get some interesting uh, announcements over these next couple days. I, I feel like a lot of companies are trying not to just get absorbed um, into one news cycle of the biggest companies making a whole bunch of news. And, and I think we're going to see a lot of chatter about AI I mean, we already have, but I think we'll see some, some, some substantive conversations about AI moving forward. Um, there's going to be a whole component of people that are still going to try and make like 
crypto and 5G and NFTs a thing? And they're not things. So those we can, I think, heartily ignore. But um, on top of some of these other announcements, it looks like we're going to be getting some interesting baby steps in gaming and uh, XR conversations. People are going to try and get ahead of, of Apple. People are interested in this portable handheld gaming space, these little sort of portable PC space. And I think that's going to help kick off conversations that I hope we see evolve throughout the year. They're going to get their start over this next week. So uh, I, TK, should I, we're going to try and do a stream on Thursday, and he can share more of what his experiences were on the show floor. And then uh, there's a whole crew of people that are going to be doing some great streams over, the ne- over this week. Um, on Gadget Goddess and Easy Computer Solutions. I don't know if Ike is back to streaming or not. Uh, Barry might be able to clue me in there. Um, uh, LaShawn and uh, uh, Scott, Scott Peachy from Technically Speaking. So we're going to have some fun conversations this week. We're getting 2024 kicked off in a big way. I have a bunch of videos that are going to be coming out on Vivo and Iku and uh, maybe some other phones that I cannot yet hold up for a camera so that you can see them, but I think you'll you'll have a good time checking out some of that stuff too. So folks, um, thanks so much for, for joining. This was a really fun way to get 2024 started. This is only like the third podcast I've done where I've not been promoting on Twitter and I haven't seen a tremendous drop in live viewership or in uh, replay. Uh, again, a hearty hello to all the folks that are out on the replay crew. So I'm feeling pretty good. Um, there's very little left for me to interact with over on Twitter. So I feel like we can finally let go of that toxic, raging dumpster fire of a social media site. I mean, at this point, if you're still on Twitter, I I don't know why. It's time to let it go. <laughs> it's time to walk away. So uh, I want you all to have an amazing week. I want you to do awesome with your technology. I want you to be awesome with your technology. And let's get lit up. Let's get excited. New stuff is coming. New conversations are happening. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun with what's coming down the pipe. So uh, I'll catch you back here next week for another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show on the SGGQA podcast channel. Be safe. Take care. Take care of yourself so that you can keep taking care of others. And I'll catch you back. I love you all. Recording voiceover, spoken word, is truly one of my favorite activities. My second favorite hobby is photography. Now, the smartphone might be making us deaf, but we can't deny the awesome power of the phone as a platform for photography and multimedia creation. If you've been looking to improve your mobile photog skills, if you want to produce more professional content, or you're just looking to take your family photos to the next level, I wrote a book to help you out with that. Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs is available on Amazon Kindle. Walking through the basic terminology of photography, covering the settings on your camera, discussing composition and inspiration, and I even include a long list of exercises and challenges to really hone your skills, all with some helpful example photos and diagrams. Search for Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs on Amazon, or use the quick link bit.ly slash betterphotosbook to grab your copy today.